0: For another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Friday, November 4th, 2011. Once again, I feel like I'm coming limping in at the end of the week. Maybe I'm just getting old. <laughs> Then again, I've been doing a lot of writing, and that has a tendency to just take a lot out of me. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment. The goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and to help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there as a result of it. We've got to do the comparative work. Open up our Bibles to see if what we're being taught really is what the Scriptures teach. And uh, since Jesus Christ himself pointed out on the day of his resurrection to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, basically that the Scriptures are all about him... Um, and well, he also did that with the Pharisees too, he said to the Pharisees, you diligently search the scriptures, but these are the scriptures that testify about me. And yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Jesus makes the point of pointing out that the scriptures are all about him. They're not about you. They're about him. Uh, they're about what he has done for you and for me, but they're not about you. Um, in fact, you can diligently search the scriptures and you will f- not find you, in the Bible, <laughs> you, you ain't the you you ain't any of the characters in the Bible. You, you get what I'm saying? So it's weird. We this uh, one of the bizarre things about our sinful nature is it's so bent in on itself. And uh, I think the uh, the Latin phrase that the ancients used was "incurvatus se." You know, you know, I, yeah, my Latin is, is well, it's just not any good. But I, if I my memory serves me right, I think that's the term that they use, that the that our sinful natures it's curved in on itself, and uh, and so when you have a pastor who's preaching you or preaching himself, yeah, he he's still in in the throes of incurvatus say he's still way bent in on himself. And, uh, you know, uh, we human beings by nature, see, the problem is, is that we like looking at our belly buttons Um, and Jesus isn't in there. There's there may be lint in there, but Jesus is not inside your belly button. At least you're not going to find him there. You know, so we've got to look outside of ourselves, outside of ourselves to see the truth and the (laughs) truth. and it, you know that's the idea is it's outside of you it's not inside of you it's outside of you the the gospel comes to you not from within you it comes from outside of you it's proclaimed to you and ultimately the idea that you're bent in on yourself well that um that's part of slavery to sin death the devil it's it's one of the symptoms of the problem not the there is no symptoms of the solution yeah in your bent in on yourselfness and so one of the things we do as we listen to the things that are going on and try to critique them biblically is, uh, is train our ears to listen to the message of whether or not you're hearing Christ and Him crucified for your sins um, or if you're hearing you and you glorified. Uh, there's a big difference, big big difference, and so yeah, one of the one of the um, uh, one of Luther's categories that he liked to uh, work in was the uh, the distinction between the theology of glory and the theology of the cross. The theology of glory you can think of it as the theology of man's glory. The Theology of the cross is well the theology that glorifies Christ and Him crucified for our sins. It works from the uh, the idea is is that 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 God's glory is like the antithesis of man's uh, of glory, in in some very real ways, and uh, and so the idea is is that that Jesus Himself points out the fact that it's His crucifixion that is His moment of glory. That's the that's the moment where Christ chooses to be crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You can think of the crucifixion as Christ's um. Uh, what, what, what's that word when, uh, kings get, uh, crowned? Um, oh yeah. Coronation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, getting old. Anyway. Yeah. So yeah. Creeping decrepitude has crept upon me and things uh, this. Sometimes, you know, the brain, I know the word. I just can't, I, I I can see it in my brain somewhere, but I just can't quite get to it. Anyway, so that, uh, Jesus's uh, crucifixion is his coronation. And so his greatest moment of glory uh, by all stretches of the imagination of a sinful fallen humanity is uh, from our point of view, from the world's point of view of glory, ruling, reigning, all that kind of stuff. That's his, That's nothing but shame. And And so the cross is a scandal. The cross is a scandal because on the cross, that's where Jesus is most glorified and that's him condemned to death that's him um that's that's him being bruised beaten scourged punched in the face all of that just suffering bleeding dying it is a mess and that's his greatest moment of glory which is why the apostle paul writes um that i am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of god Unto salvation, not ashamed of the gospel, because the gospel is the announcement that Jesus Christ was crucified for your sins and mine. And so the the crux of the crucifixion is well, that's Christ's glory, but it's really shameful. It's a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Greeks. And yet it's the very thing that, uh, that that very gospel that announces the good news of our forgiveness of sins won by Christ on the cross. So um, is it any wonder, since the the cross really runs counter to everything that we are in our corrupted, sinful nature, that uh, that's the thing that constantly gets shunted, moved to the back, uh, not talked about too much, from time to time brought out, but some of the hard edges shaved off. Um, yeah, is it any wonder? Because being curved in on ourselves, uh, we like to think that, Listen, the the situation isn't as bad as, as some of those theologians make out. We're all basically good people, right? So uh, what happens is is that uh, when you go with that assumption that things aren't as bad as um as scriptures make them out to be and that we're somehow all basically good people, we just we need to, you know, kind of rehab uh, ourselves because what we've all made some foolish decisions that have resulted in some bad outcomes in our life. And so what we need is good advice, uh, you know, because we're all basically good people see that's what God wants us to do. Just do our best, you know, love God, love neighbor, make better decisions, get better outcomes. And at the end of the day, he'll say, well done now, good and faithful servant. But see, that's not the theology of the cross that I'm describing there. That's the theology of glory. That's the theology of self-exaltation. But the theology of the cross tells the thing the way it really is. Um, the prognosis is not good. No, it's, it's, it's in fact, um, you're going to die. And uh, in fact, you're not basically a good person. Yeah, I hate to break it to you. Uh, scriptures describe you as dead in trespasses and sin and in full-blown rebellion to God and um, by nature um, a, a child of the devil. You need a full pardon. Um, if uh, God is not merciful to you, uh, then you you yourself have earned an eternity in hell and uh, suffering God's wrath. That's what you've earned. That's what I've earned. And so what happens is is that the theology of the cross tells it the way it is. The theology of glory doesn't. tries to make it sound like, well, that you've got a champion within you, you know. All you got to do is discover it, and you know, and 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 believe that you have God's favor. And wouldn't you know it, presto, blammo, you do. Yeah, but none of that's the truth. None of that's true. You don't just presto, blammo, have God's favor by thinking positive thoughts or anything of the sort. If it were not for the shed blood of Christ on the cross, that shameful, painful death for you and for me. Um, you couldn't stand in God's presence. Period, because there is no champion inside of you. You're dead by nature, dead in trespasses and sins, and it's God who makes you alive in Christ. Covers you in His righteousness, not your own. Yeah, see that. See that big difference. But two different streams. And so one of the things you'll see over and again here at fighting for the faith, is that um. Well, when we review bad sermons, um, the, at, at their core, they're they're they uh, well, theologies of glory. Do this; it's not as bad as it. you're not that bad of a person. You're decent. You're pretty much a decent person. Just apply these therapeutic techniques, and and you'll get some better outcomes. And God will be happy with you, and that and those better outcomes will definitely prove God's favor in your life. Yeah, it's. <laughs> false gospel, false diagnosis, um, blind leading the blind, people bent in on themselves. It's just absolute craziness. So that's one of the, you know, that so one of the things we do here at Fighting for the Faith is really try to tease out why that's wrong, why that's not what the scriptures teach. And, uh, and in my sermon reviews, I offer counter-commentary and almost counter-preaching in in what I do. So Anyway, um, there, there we are. So let's t- talk about what we're going to talk about on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. Talk about theology of glory. There's just some crazy stuff going on here. So uh, what I want to do is we'll, we're we're going to start off with some news item, news items. Um, I've got a story here from the Orange County Register regarding uh, Robert Schuler and the and his wife. Arvella and the Crystal Cathedral and and things like that. They've apparently uh, they've sparked some controversy and some outrage there at in uh, Garden Grove, California. So uh, we'll take a look at that story. I've got another story about a pastor down in uh, near uh, Austin, Texas, in Southwest Oxen, uh, Austin. Austin, Te- <clears throat> moo and <laughs> Southwest Austin, Texas. Who's Who's building his dream um, um, church property? I I don't know. It yeah, it's uh, it's called Dream City, and uh, we'll take a look at that. Um, uh, we didn't get to this yesterday, and so we have to get to this today. Uh, is the uh, story of um, well a, um, a feminist uh, um, Protestant liberal conference called Faith and Feminism, and uh, they're going to be. F- featuring a um high priestess of Isis at this um uh, liberal um protestant um feminism conference yeah you just can't make this up and and then we're going to spend some time listening um to Bill Johnson um of Bethel uh Bethel Church i think they're in Redding California uh basically i don't know if you've seen this on inter- on the internet or not but there there's a, there's claims running around the internet that the glory cloud showed up there at uh, bethel and that gold dust had fallen and stuff like that and so uh, bill johnson's going to um provide commentary regarding that and what i'm going to do is basically try to give you a biblical way to critique and test what's going on there at bethel and uh, because here's the deal, um, I can't tell from the video as to what you know what the source is of the um, of this so called glory cloud. Um, I can't tell if it's man made, if it's paranormal, or whatever. But um, well, the one thing I can say with certainty, it doesn't have its origin in um, anything that has to do with the one true God. Um, yeah, 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 and you say, how can you be so sure? Well, I'll, I'll kind of show you when we get there as you know as to how you can be sure about things like this because he, here's the deal remember satan masquerades as an angel of light and scripture warns us that in the last days that um, there will be false prophets who are capable of performing miracles and so whether or not you know something is unexplainable in, in the natural doesn't mean that the only alternative you know uh, interpretation is is that, that that it's a supernatural event by the hand of god there's there's another option and so you you got to test these things so we'll take a listen to Bill Johnson and then for our sermon review today I'm going I'm going to do something a little bit different and uh and uh, we did something similar to this a couple of weeks ago it wasn't the best radio let's just put it that way but uh, this one's going to be a little bit better than that one um I'm going to review another seeker driven leadership conference uh speech um and uh this one is called Movementum a uh, momentum and uh it uh, I'll give you the details in hour number 2 regarding it but it, it, this is just another one of those ones where what uh, my question is what on earth are they teaching these seeker driven well they're not pastors um seeker driven furors, and and I listen I know that that, that term is just it, it jolts you it's it, it's on purpose intended to jolt you um but see the thing is is that in German, the word for leader is Führer. Okay, and these seeker-driven conferences are not teaching people how to be pastors; they're teaching them Führership, leadership. They're teaching them how to be Führers, not pastors. And so, this is another seeker-driven Führer conference. And uh, and so, my question is: What is it that they're feeding these guys? Because um, just when you think that they're starting to make sense, they say something that doesn't make any sense at all. So, um, you know, and this is supposedly about church multiplication and, you know, growing and multiplying your church and being effective in your multiplication. And this guy is a church consultant and, um, yeah, it, uh, didn't make any Bit of biblical sense to me, so rather than listening to a sermon, I thought what we do is listen to one of their conference speeches. See if you can make heads or tails of what it is that they're being taught at these at these Führership conferences. And uh, you know, so anyway, we're, with that, we're going to dive into the program proper, which requires me to tell you to you know make yourself comfortable. Um, your listener experience is absolutely important to me. Several ways that you can enhance your listener experience. Number one, fuzzy bunny slippers if weather permits. You don't want to wear them if if the weather is really hot outside. Uh, at that point, your feet get too hot and they sweat, and that actually detracts from your overall listener experience. So that's why we always say you know, check the weather in your neck of the woods. If it's hot, yeah, pass on those. But make yourself comfortable, prop up your legs, and, 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 and just enjoy the experience. I mean, you know, what's the point of having – uh, a, a a cutting edge uh, discernment radio program. If you're not going to enjoy the experience, so make sure to enjoy the fuzzy bunny slippers, an adult beverage. If you if you have a proclivity for those types of things, keep in mind that is a gift from God that is not to be abused by taking it to drunkenness. You don't want to be enslaved to a gift that's a silly, and uh, and so you know of course take all the proper precautions. And with that, we're going to dive into the program proper. Here we go. From the Orange County Register. The headline reads, Food Request for the Reverend Shuler's Wife Sparks Outrage. Oh, boy. Uh, this was published uh, November 3rd in the Orange County Register and written by Deepa Barath. Okay, so the um, dateline, Garden Grove, an email sent out to members of the Crystal Cathedral congregation requesting meals for founder Robert H. Schuler's wife, Arvella, who is ill with pneumonia, is creating mixed feelings of sadness and outrage among members, according to longtime member Jim McDonald. An email was sent out by administrators to Bible study groups as well as to church elders, Asking that meals for the reverend's wife be dropped off at the at the cathedral's Tower of Hope, where the Schuler's limo drivers will be waiting to pick them up at the designated time. <laughs> what? Member Bob Canfield says he was outraged when he got the message. Quote, These are millionaires who have limos and they have chauffeurs. He said. Why in God's name would they want the congregants to to deliver meals? This is ludicrous. The email states that the Schulers do not want get well cards sent because they would like to keep her situation under the radar. Well, they failed at that. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> yeah, if we were sitting in front of a radar screen at the moment, you know, with the, the, the that green-amber kind of looking screen, you know, with the circle that, you know, with the, the, the thing that goes around, and then when it hits the thing, it goes... Bing! 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 There, there, it, not only would they be on the radar, I mean, it would be as huge as an albatross right there on the little screen. Uh-huh. So let me see if I got this straight. The reverend Robert Schuler his wife is suffering from pneumonia and so he wants people in the congregation to make meals for her. Um and um and so the way to do that is to make the meal drop it off at the Tower of Hope and the Schuler's limo will um come by and pick up the meals. I mean d- d- <laughs> Is this charity? I mean, what is this? I mean, if you can afford a limo, don't you think you can order, like, takeout from P.F. Chang's? I mean, anyway. By the way, P.F. Chang's, that's some fantastic food right there. Yeah, no, they didn't pay me to say that. That's just, you know, When I sometimes think about Chinese food, That's my mind wanders in that direction. Anyway. Okay, so um, so the email states that the Schulers do not want to uh, get well cards sent because they would like to keep her situation under the radar. Yeah, fail there. Quote, however, they would appreciate meals over the next three to four weeks. The email states they are to be sent to the church in order to be transported to Arvella. The limo drivers could pick up the dinners or meet in the tower lobby around 4.30 p.m. The message also requests that the meals be low in sodium and include items such as fruit, meats, soup, and egg dishes such as quiches. Oh, man. (laughs) I mean, seriously? Okay. Um, Cathedral spokesman uh, John Charles said the request for meals was simply an effort to rally around the Schuler's who are both in their 80s quote we didn't want people going to their home because they're they're very private people he said that's why we asked that the food be dropped off at the tower so that the limo drivers can pick them up and deliver them charles said congregants have rallied around other members in the past when they ha- when they have become ill yeah um see the thing is is that um other members are probably not millionaires with limos as Dr. Schuler always says, find a need and fill it, he said. I think that's what we're trying to do here. But some church members viewed the request differently. Canfield said that he and other members of the congregation are upset that the request came at a time when the church is in bankruptcy. And information is coming out through court documents has suggested that the Shulers took nearly $10 million from the church's endowment funds. <laughs> oh, quote, they've completely depleted the church's funds, he said. And they've shown that they have absolutely no remorse for what they've done. They're still being chauffeured around in limos. Uh, We, the congregants, have nothing. Uh, Crystal Cathedral's ministries filed uh, for Chapter 11 bankruptcy on October 18th. The judge is expected to approve a sale plan on November 14th. Both the cathedral's board and the creditors' committee have named Chapman University as their preferred buyer. Chapman's offer stands at 51.5 million. The Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange has offered 53.6 million. However, uh, the Chapman plan will allow the schulers to remain and continue in their ministry with a lease, ba- lease back and buyback arrangement man I, I you know at this point i'm i'm I'm, I'm rooting for the uh, the uh, Roman Catholic Archdiocese to take over the Crystal Cathedral. I'm hoping the court says nope, we're going to go with a bigger bid anyway. Canfeld said the request for meals seems ironic in the context of reports over the last year that the Schulers drew generous salaries and benefits in the years leading up to the bankruptcy, even as the ministry struggled. Shirley Zink, who served as a greeter at the Crystal Cathedral for 35 years, said she was saddened to receive the message about the meals for Arvella. Quote, you have to wonder if it's lonely at the top, if the Schulers don't have the support of the many family members who live in the area, she said. For as long as she's known them, the Schulers have been distant from the congregation. Zink said, After 35 years, she said she resigned from being a volunteer, although she still continues to go to the Bible study. I'm looking for another church, she said, but like many others, I leave heartbroken, mourning the loss of uh, what once was. So there you go. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, they, so the reports have come out that the Schulers have depleted the Crystal Cathedral's endowment fund by 10 million bucks pocketing the money, they have a limo driver, Arvella's sick, which is sad, by the way, um, and has pneumonia, which is very serious, and they're so absolutely disconnected from reality that they've sent out an email requesting that people make meals for them and leave them at the church tower, and their limo drivers will come pick them up. And, you know, by the way, I think Robert Shuler, it could could be said that he is... um, truly one of the pioneers of the modern megachurch movement, and truly he was um, a man who helped disciple um, men like Bill Hybels and Rick Warren, and um, the fact that he's distant from people in the congregation, and this far removed from reality, well, it seems to have trickled down to the next generation and the generation after that. I don't see much difference between Robert Shuler's way of thinking and the thinking that we get from guys like uh, Perry Noble. All right, real quick here. Um, uh, it sounds like a, Robert Schuler Jr. apparently lives near somewhere, somewhere near Southwest Austin, Texas. Here's a um, a news report regarding Dream City. Um, yeah, here, listen in. Pastors' dreams are finally coming true. The Promised Land West Church has broken ground on Dream City. It's a multi million dollar megaplex in southwest Austin that includes an outdoor amphitheater. As Wynans just oh, a megaplex, a megaplex that includes an outdoor amphitheater. Just what every church needs. Mitchell explains neighbors say they welcome the church but they're not thrilled with the traffic and a noise that may come with it. Well, why, why don't they put in a, you know, like a theme park and maybe, you know, maybe a sports complex and and some water slides. That, that might, you know, warm up the neighborhood. And yeah, dreams are expensive.
1: This is the original plan for past-
0: Dreams are expensive. Yeah, they are, yeah, those dreams.
1: Mr. Randy Phillips' dream. Now here's a $25 million religious megaplex called Dream City.
2: This is the 68 acres that we bought in Southwest Austin. This is the amphitheater, this is the worship center, uh, this is a student centers, counseling centers, hike and bike trails.
0: Where's the roller coaster?
1: The only problem is it's smack dab in the middle of three residential neighborhoods, Hill Country Estates, Covered Bridge, and Westview Estates.
0: We
2: want the community be part of our church. We're not trying to alienate them.
0: Yeah, because you need their tithe dollars to help pay for the mortgage on that property, I'm sure. We're trying to be
2: part of the fabric that they've already created.
1: That's the thing. Kim Butler welcomes a church, but says the noise and traffic caused by thousands going to the outdoor amphitheater will be a disruption. You
0: know, I'm no uh, architect uh, like, at all, but I can see like a fatal flaw in the architectural designs. There's like only one way in and out, and it gets down to a single lane. Uh, <laughs> can you say the word bottleneck? Shit.
3: that's what's been really frustrating to a lot of the members of the neighborhoods. Is they anything that they can do in the amphitheater, they could do in the in the primary church facility.
1: Butler says on a concert night,
3: it's within
4: an
0: hour and a half, they're playing Highway to Hell in the car. In this, (laughs) oh man.
4: Before and after any type of event will turn Highway 71 into a parking lot.
1: Paula Grasso is also worried about traffic. The entrances and exits, um, I think one is not enough and uh, definitely would need a light. While the traffic and noise are top concerns, residents look forward to movie nights and other events open to the community. Dreams.
0: Uh, Man. Oh yeah, because you know, People in the community have no place to go to watch a movie. So I'm so glad that this that Dream City <sighs> is going to meet that, that need of the community there. Oh, man.
1: Other events open to the community.
2: Dream City is a place where families come together and make great memories. <laughs> what?
0: <laughs> That's the pastor. So Dream City is a place where families come together and make great memories. Yeah, um, I I don't prefer to make great memories at church megaplexes. It's, just call me, you know, just call me old-fashioned, but I prefer to make great memories at other types of venues rather than church megaplexes.
1: Just take one look around. There's a whole lot of land here and a whole lot of possibilities. We want to get
2: people... To dream again, body, soul, and spirit.
0: Com- mm, yeah, why don't you call them to repentance and the forgiveness of sins? Yeah, see, that's the thing, folks. Uh, if, if those of you living in Southwest Austin, what you need to do is you, know, you need to set up an appointment with um, the the Dreamcaster himself here uh, from this Dream City com- uh, Church Megaplex, and you need to sit down and show him from Scripture that his job is to preach the Word. And to call sinners to repentance and the forgiveness of sins, and once you get him doing that, Dream City will dry up and, and blow away like a tumbleweed, because that's not a message that's going to sell, fill seats or you know anything like that. you know he'll, he'll go from being one of the, one of the megaplex megapastors uh, well to being just an ordinary Joe really quickly, and all he's got to do is preach the biblical gospel.:
2: Completely well and whole.
1: and it's your dream
2: that's my dream too.
1: Residents say they hope the pastor's dream doesn't turn into a nightmare for their neighborhood. In oh, South-
0: it, it will.
1: Southwest Austin, Jess Mitchell, YNN. Concerned people in the area have had several meetings with the city and
0: with the pastor about the amphitheater. The pastor says he'll hire officers to manage the traffic and will be sure to comply with noise ordinances. Dream City will be open in the fall of 2012. Oh yeah, you people that living out there in southwest Austin, Texas. Oh You're so fortunate to have Dream City, a place where dreams can gather. Yeah, uh has nothing to do with Jesus Christ and him crucified for our sins, but you are very fortunate to have Dream City. Going to be opening up at the end of the summer of next year. Oh, wow. He's so fortunate. Yeah, Dream City. Uh, they should, you know, re- 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 rework the tagline. Dream City, not the place where dreams gather, but the easiest place to go to hell from in southwest Austin, Texas. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask me, and my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. You can follow me on Twitter. My name there, pirate Christian. Yeah, we'll be right back. I'm going to go gather some dreams and see if I can figure out where to release them during the break. <clears throat> All right, we'll be right back.
4: Relevance, shmelovance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. (laughs) It's.
5: Monty Python's Flying Circus Church! Hello. I wish to register a complaint. Uh, we're closing for lunch. Never mind that, my lad. I wish to complain about the sermon that I purchased a day ago from this very boutique. Uh, yes. Uh, what What's wrong with it? Tell you what's wrong with it, my lad. It's a dead sermon. That's what's wrong with it. No, not possible. You just preached it wrong. Look, matey. I know a dead sermon when I preach one. And I know that the sermon I preached yesterday was certainly dead. Jesus Christ wasn't mentioned once, not even in the footnotes.
0: No, no, you just weren't charismatic enough.
5: Remarkable sermon, beautiful imagery. The imagery, don't enter into it, it's stone dead. No, 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 you're just not open-minded enough. All right, then. If it's not dead, then I shall be able to preach the gospel. I read a portion of it. Ahem. And then the camp counselor told all of the woodland creatures to become more righteous, so that they too could get to the place called heaven. You you see what I mean? This is ridiculous. There. I found the gospel in the sermon. No, you didn't. That was you just writing the word gospel on the cover of the room-temperature sermon. Well, I never. Yes, you did. I I never, never did anything. This entire sermon fails to preach anything that's worth anything to anyone. Now, that's what I call a dead sermon. No, no, no. You haven't looked deep enough into yourself. You must be joking. Well, you're just being divisive, and you refuse to accept the message that's being presented. Um, Now, look. Now, look, mate. I've definitely had enough of this. That sermon is definitely rotten, and when I purchased it not but a day ago, you assured me that it was Christ-centered, cross-focused, and filled to bursting with the gospel. Well, if you would just read the title. Read the title? What kind of title is this anyway? Super Spiritual Happy Fun Friends Adventure Camp Pack. Mate, listen, people wouldn't be chasing me to hear this rubbish if I was firing midgets out of cannons. It's bleeding demise. You didn't buy the midget cannon expansion pack? The sermon has passed on. The sermon is no more. It has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to mean its maker. It's a stiff, bereft of life. It burns in hell. If you hadn't put it in the wrong package sleeve, I would be using it for fire starter. The thought processes that brought it about are now history. It's off the twig. It's kicked the bucket. The bleeding choir invisible wouldn't listen to this sham. This is an ex-sermon. Uh, well, well, I, I'd better replace it then. Let's see. here, Christ-centered, uh, gospel, Jesus... Uh, uh, well, sorry, Squire. I've had a look around in the back of the shop and, uh, well, we're we'll right out of well, whatever it is that you're looking for. I see. I see. I get the picture. I, I got a sermon here from Rick Warren. Does it contain Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice? Well, no, not really. Well, that's hardly a replacement, is it? Look, if, if, if you're really dead set on the whole Jesus thing, I suggest that you look up Pirate Christian Radio. All they do is talk about Jesus 24-7. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Pirate Christian Radio... Very well, I'll give them a try. all
0: right we're back uh, warning stay away from pastors talking about gathering dreams releasing dreams and things like that yeah it's it's not in the Bible that's just man-made Kalos Theology of glory. Need to remind you all: fighting for the faith is listener-supported radio. That means that we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring fighting for the faith to you into the world. And uh, if you don't already partner with us, the way you do so is by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. dot com. When you get there, there are two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 on a monthly basis to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount, the way you do that is by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. And then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, y'all remember, well, actually, some of you are not going to remember this. Okay, when I was a kid, there was a television show that aired on CBS on Saturday mornings. (laughs) It was right after Shazam. And (laughs) I hate to... There's like no way for me to deny seeing this, so I might as well just come up and confess it. When I was a kid, I actually watched um, a few episodes of Shazam and, and, well, this program. See if uh, this jogs any of y'all's memories. royal sorcerer to Hatshepsut, with this amulet, you and your descendants are endowed by the goddess Isis, with the powers of the animals and the elements. You will soar as the falcon soars, run with the speed of gazelles, and command the elements of sky and earth. 3,000 years
5: later, a young science teacher dug up this lost treasure and found she was
6: heir to the Secrets of Isis. And so, unknown to
5: even her closest friends, Rick Mason and Cindy Lee, she became a dual person, Andrea Thomas, teacher. Oh my gosh. And Isis, dedicated foe of evil, defender of the weak, champion of truth and justice.
0: All right, so that was the beginning of that particular thing. And in case you're all not familiar with the Isis is actually one of the uh, false fertility uh, deities of um, ancient Egypt. Well, and so Christianity and, like, Isis worship, like, have nothing in common, right? Well, uh, the headline for the story from WorldNet Daily reads, Christian church teams up with the high priestess of Isis. Famous denomination welcoming paganism with guided meditations. You just can't make this stuff up anymore. A Protestant church in California is uh, coming under fire from some Christians over its upcoming conference featuring guided meditations by a high priestess of the pagan fertility goddess, Isis. The fifth annual Faith and Feminism Conference taking place November 11th through the 13th is being hosted by the Ebenezer Lutheran Church in San Francisco, which bills itself as... Her church, by the way, they're associated with the ELCA and have nothing whatsoever to do with the LCMS. Among the scheduled participants is uh, Lorian Vigny, a high priestess of ISIS Oasis, a temple retreat and animal sanctuary. Vigny founded in 1978 in Geysersville, California. Quote, I personally see ISIS as Mother Nature, Vigny told World daily, and that she encompasses everything with her wings. She's a winged goddess. She encompasses any other goddess from any culture. Vigny, who plans to bring several other priestesses to the conference, will conduct prayers, songs, and meditation. Quote, guided meditation is where the audience closes their eyes and you take them on a little journey, she explained. I've taken people to their past lives in Egypt As that culture had all the secrets, they're the ones that knew. The main concept is to know thyself and know thy heart and know thy soul and know thy purpose. Really? (laughs) So the high priestess of Isis is all about knowing yourself, knowing your heart and knowing your purpose. Weird. She doesn't sound like she has any different theology than some of the purpose driven guys. <clears throat> she says the belief system is based on the ancient Egyptian concept of balance with 42 laws that are actually 42 ideals. It's kind of like the Ten Commandments, but it's all done in a positive concept. She said, I shall not kill is rendered, I honor all lives as sacred. Uh, besides honoring the goddess, the staff of Isis also provides a massage therapy, along with tarot and astrology readings, according to its website. But the San Francisco event, blending non-existent heathen deities with the Christian faith, is leaving some outraged. Uh, "Quote: You can't make this stuff up!" exclaimed Dan Skogan of Marion, Iowa, who describes himself as a Lutheran fed up with the constant mockery of God's word by the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America or ELCA, which boasts some 4.2 million members in 10,000 congregation. God tells us in Exodus 20 verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me, yet the ELCA church brings followers of other gods in to speak and teach at their conference. Scogan said the ELCA leadership accepts and promotes the thought that salvation is secured even for people who do not have faith in Christ. So, Bringing worshipers of ISIS to this conference to teach is acceptable to them, he said. Of course, this is a distinct departure from the orthodox teaching of the Christian church. Throughout the Bible, there are many warnings against worshiping false gods. The Israelites were nearly exterminated by God when they made a golden calf to worship, but said it was a festival to the Lord. Yeah, that's right. Read Exodus chapter 32, verse 5. The um, whole golden calf thing uh they They were claiming that um that calf was the Lord anyway, so and they were uh they were later warned, but if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, and if you're drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed, See Deuteronomy chapter thirty verses seventeen through eighteen so Scogan said over the years the e l c a has drifted farther and farther away from the truth. And the authority of Scripture. Actually, they they jettisoned the authority of Scripture a long time ago, uh, but and and because they jettisoned the authority of God's word and did not confidently believe that it is the infallible, inerrant Word of God, um, that's why they're drifting. They they don't have an anchor uh, attached to truth anywhere, and they're being blown hither and yon by every crazy wind of doctrine. Anyway, when a church does not trust, adhere to, and believe what the Bible clearly states, heresies emerge resulting in false teachings and blatant disobedience. Defending the event is one of its organizers, the Reverend Megan Rohrer, the first openly transgendered Lutheran minister ordained in the United States. Um, Yeah, I mean, I'm just reading this going... You couldn't have written, I mean, if you had written a script 25 years ago that, you know, that projected out into the future, you know, say 25 years ago, you wrote a a script of, you know, that took issue at the the liberalism going on at the time and then cast it sometime in the future and said in the future, there's going to be a lesbian, transgendered um, uh, uh, pastrix who's going to bring in an ISIS-worshipping goddess to a church conference, people would have accused you of hate speech, like, you know, of absolutely being over the top. But see, here's the deal. The event's happening. What what I'm reading isn't fiction. This is actually occurring, like, next week. And this whole thing is over the top, and this isn't fiction. I mean, if this isn't proof of what happens when you jettison the authority of God's word, then I don't know what is. <clears throat> so uh, the Reverend Megan Rohrer says, quote, I think the world is much more interested in interfaith connection than the and than in exclusivity. I bet that's exactly what you think. <laughs> anyway, Rohrer told World Daily, Daily, it's, it's really not that unusual. Christianity was founded in the time of the beginnings of lots of things while acknowledging concern about mixing paganism with christianity is a hot button issue the pastor said quote christians that, that say that probably don't know what paganism is um yeah it's pretty clear that um pastrix roarer doesn't know what christianity is anyway anything that's not what anyone's church teaches is against is against god's ways she added what <laughs> let me read that again. Anything that's not what anyone's church teaches is against God's ways. Oh, that's what they believe. So, the Merriam Webster Dictionary defines pagan as a heathen, especially the word heathen as an unconverted member of a or a, of a people or nation that does not acknowledge the God of the Bible. This particular Lutheran church in San Francisco is far from what many might consider mainstream. You think? Uh, the instance is as heavily promote it promotes a feminine identity for god with a giant banner hanging from its purple exterior declaring the goddess loves all her children we are a diverse community standing firmly with within the christian tradition in order to reimage the divine by claiming her feminine persona the church proclaims um yeah the boy that just kind of begs the question as to how you're defining the term Christian tradition. What on earth makes you Christian? Um, you believe in a goddess. Um, the fact that the um, ELCa puts up with this stuff, Whew, yeah, that's uh, problematic at best. Um, quote our Christian slash Lutheran feminist prayers and liturgy reach back into the storehouse of tradition to bring forth names as. Mother, Shaddai, Sophia, womb, midwife, Shekinah, she who is. They do so out of renewed insights into the nature of the gospel empowered by the risen Christ, Sophia. The what? Oh, my goodness. These, oh, man. If these folks don't repent, um, they are going to burn in hell for eternity. Like in the hottest regions of... Anyway, asked to explain the church's theology, the Reverend Rohr said being Christian and being a feminist are not two opposite ends of the spectrum. She said her church is creating caring economics and creating a world where every person's identity is held up with its integrity, e- uh, creating equal playing fields for every human being. And <clears throat> the UN continues to say that if we're able to educate women globally, we'll, we will probably eliminate poverty, she added. <laughs> oh, well, well there's a good reason to embrace Isis. I mean we we're going to eliminate poverty. Okay. So other events at the conference include a chanting worship uh workshop with uh, with another Isis priestess Katie Ketchum, inclusive hymns, sacred walks, sacred sacred drums, sacred dance, Kundalini yoga mantras which the church says are composed of basic phonetic sounds coming to all languages and have been used to invoke the presence of the divine for centuries. Also speaking at the conference is Mary Strufert, Director for Justice for Women at the ELCA's headquarters in Chicago, and she refused comment when asked about her participation. So the ELCA is sending an official delegate. Wow. So interest in the Egyptian goddess is certainly not new in the United States in the mid-1970s. She became a flying superhero on the CBS Saturday morning TV series, ISIS. Anyway, so there you go. I mean, you can't make this stuff up anymore. I mean, seriously, there, I'm, um, uh, there's nothing Christian about that church. And um, if this doesn't prove that the ELCA is so far off the rails that, um, that uh, you are literally in, in danger, your very soul to hell in uh, in attending uh, these types of churches. Well, I don't know what else. Uh, does um so yeah if if your pastor slash pastrix doesn't have a problem with inviting an uh, a an Isis worshipping pagan in to do uh guided meditations and prayers and offer you some massage therapy well <laughs> oh, man you can't make this stuff up anymore okay moving along It's been a while since we played this. We're going to be doing a Bill Johnson update. Yeah, the truth is out there. It's just not in his church. kill the music you know I, i'm just thinking about that whole isis thing going on at that elca church i i feel like i'm starting my program is turning into like you know that what is that that show that's on overnight you know with uh, george nori and uh, those guys i mean that's how crazy this program is becoming and all i'm doing is covering the religious news beat here in the united states good night anyway uh um <clears throat> If you've seen on the internet, there—if in fact you can see it at YouTube.com, and if you type in Bethel Church and the quote "glory cloud" unquote question mark, you can see what appears to be video of some kind of a smoky apparition thing appearing in a room full of people praying, charismatic style. And there appears to be something that looks like gold flakes falling from this cloud, smoky looking thing. Now, so what's happened is, is the folks there at Bethel in Redding, California, Bill Johnson, you know, at the helm of that particular um congregation, I don't know what they are, but... um. Uh, is responding uh, regarding the appearance of the so-called glory cloud. And so uh, he's going to explain it to us. Uh, here here we go. Here's um, Bill Johnson.
3: We've been involved in this, excuse me, this um, outpouring really for 15 years and actually 16 years now. And we, in... In this journey, we've had the Lord show up and do a, a number of amazing things. One of the prominent things that we've seen in these years is the healing of people's bodies, the deliverance, deliverances from torment, restoration of families, all those kinds of things have been uh, so extraordinary, so amazing. Occasionally we have unusual things happen that we I, I don't take a service for, I, I just don't. I'll make reference and then I leave it alone. And, that's typically my response to the signs that make you wonder. And uh, it would be about 15 or maybe 14 years ago, somewhere in that area, 14 years ago probably, that feathers started just appearing and falling in meetings. And then they started falling in our homes and in restaurants and things like that, just unusual things. You know, there are signs that make you wonder. There are, there are, people say, well, where's that in the Bible? Well, he said he'd cover you with his feathers.
0: Oh man. Okay, so apparently he's talking about the signs that make you wonder, and responding to this glory cloud thing that apparently appeared there. And uh, well, there's more of this stuff supposedly going to be happening. But
3: yeah, well, that's not literal, and that's what I thought. That's what I thought. I thought it wasn't literal. It also says uh, there's healing in his wings. Should make somebody happy. But things like that happen. What we'll a wind that will gust of wind that I'll get hit with. and I mean, not imaginary things. you know I, I, people get weird, and I, I understand they want something they want something supernatural ba- so bad they start imagining things, and I understand that problem will probably always be with us. but that is no reason to discount what he does do. <clears throat> and uh, we've had gold dust appear in people's hands for years we. I don't ever talk about it, but frequently during worship, we actually had it today. Benny and I both saw gold will start falling during worship. This time, I think it started falling during our prayer time. And we'll just see it just drop like rain. And, uh, and I mean, we just, you, you can't invite God into the house and not have something outside of your box happen. He's, he's just slightly bigger than our understanding. He, yeah.
0: Okay, now I'm going to pause right there. Now, you'll notice that he, he thinks this is a sign from God, that God's the one behind it. Now, I'd like to read for you a warning from Jesus Christ himself uh, regarding how things would be in the last days. And this is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24. I'll start at verse 24. So twenty-four, twenty-four. Jesus says, For false messiahs, or you can say false anointed ones, a false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Okay, Um, so if they say, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, don't believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man wherever the corpse is there the vultures will gather so Jesus himself said that false Christ false prophets will arise and will perform great signs and wonders okay so here's the deal okay if false Christs and false prophets are going to arise and successfully perform great signs and wonders, that tells us that just because a smoky glory cloud dropping gold flakes appeared in Bethel Church doesn't mean that it's from God. The miracle itself proves nothing. The question is, what's the doctrine associated with the miracle? If the doctrine associated with the miracle points you to Jesus Christ and calls you to repent of your false belief in your sin and to trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins, and there's no other monkey business going on doctrinally under the hood there, you might have a legit miracle from God chances are high if on the other hand you have a miracle occur or a sign or a wonder or as he as uh, bill johnson puts it a sign that makes you wonder and you're not hearing christ clearly proclaimed as crucified and your sins being called out and you being called to repentance and the forgiveness of your sins in jesus christ it doesn't matter if an angel appears with bright, shining lights, and it's recorded on video, and the video goes viral on YouTube with 23 bazillion hits, it ain't an angel that is associated with Christ, miracles are always used to buttress a theology. And if you're not sure what the word buttress means, you might want to look it up. But um, in Europe, they have what are you know they have cathedrals of the Gothic style, and in order to be able to create the light inside of them to make room for the big windows and stuff like that, they had to find a way to take a large portion of the weight and distribute it out away from the cathedral in order to build them highest like that. And so, it, like if you look at uh, Notre Dame or pictures of Notre Dame there in, in Paris, um. There there's these supports that are you know coming out from the cathedral itself, and those are called flying buttresses. Okay? So here's the deal. When somebody is making a miracle claim, the miracle is never the cathedral, it's always the flying buttress. The question is what cathedral is that buttress connected to? If that miracle is connected to a solid proclamation of Christ and Him crucified for our sins, and you're called to repentance and the forgiveness of sins and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, that may be a legit mer- miracle. But in the case of Bill Johnson, yeah, that that message, hmm, is mysteriously missing. So, um, as I watched the video of this phenomenon, I couldn't tell if it was man made or if it had its origin in something, uh, you know, demonic. But I can say with certainty it wasn't from God because I don't clearly hear the gospel of Christ in this man's preaching and teaching. So the one thing I'm certain of. Regardless of whether it's a true miracle or false miracle, and I'm putting parentheses around the word miracle, it doesn't have its origin in the kingdom of heaven.
3: So we have these things happen. They happen with regularity. Uh, Sometimes they're things that we go honestly for maybe years even without understanding what in the world happened and why. But it happened at such a key moment, there's no way to question that it was the Lord. August 12th,
0: um, no, actually, there is a way to question whether or not it's from the Lord. You look at your doctrine. Since you don't really preach sound biblical doctrine, you're a Bible teacher and engage in all kinds of monkey business that points us away from Christ, yeah, there is. I absolutely 100% doubt that God had anything to do with that so-called glory cloud appearing
3: there. Children's pastor actually preached that night on grace. And late that Friday, as a Friday night, I was out of the country somewhere. I forget where I was—Sweden or somewhere. And at the end, they had a fire tell Start ministering to people, and this glory cloud just came and just started hovering somewhere over the platform. I'm not sure where that one was, but there's this cloud. It was—it's hard to explain. It looks like smoke, looks like dust, and when you get close, it's like gold. It's It's shiny, it's like little flakes, teeny weeny little flakes, and they're just swirling. The next week, the 19th of August, was a women's conference, and the same thing happened again. I know that that night, it was over in that corner. And then this last Friday night, this cloud appeared again, and this time, it remained there for approximately 45 minutes. It would intensify, it, was, it would get thick, it would... There was at one time, there was like the smoke billowing, and it exploded. It was like a ball, it exploded and just shot up all of the gold. You can, I'm going to show you a little clip, and it looked like smoke to you. You'll see some little sparkles, but it's, it's, like, um, it's, it's like gold flakes, and they all went up.
0: Sounds flaky to me. That's for sure.
3: They they happened over in that corner. But as we were walking around the stage here, I would get back in here, and it's just swirling up in the ceiling, up in there. It's just probably from about this side of the room okay. over. It was just everywhere. We had people standing on the stage, just were, were just dumbfounded. You know, one of our staff this morning made a comment, not meant to be humorous, just just. Uh, it felt like I was looking at a UFO. You know, I mean, you don't have a slot to put it in. Is is that kind of a thing? I mean, we realize there's glory in the Bible. There's the smoke of His presence. I understand all that, but it's different from when you read it to where you're in it. And we'd have, I, I'd have a friend this close, and I would see this stuff go right between us. It was that. It was that close. It was like right here.
0: Mm. <clears throat> yeah, I'm not hearing anything about Christ. I'm hearing a lot about the so-called miracle, and supposedly this validates the. uh the preaching and teaching ministry of uh, Bill Johnson and what's going on there at Bethel. But these folks don't rightly handle God's Word, and they don't clearly preach Christ crucified for our sins. As a result of it, there is no way this is a glory cloud that has its origin in the kingdom of heaven. Let me read to you uh, a real miracle account in the book of Acts and see if you can detect the major difference in uh, in what the theology going along with uh, this miracle as compared to the so-called miracle you're hearing Bill Johnson um uh, wax eloquently about here we go acts chapter 14 verse 8 now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet he was crippled from birth and he had never walked he listened to Paul speaking and Paul looked looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well "'said in a loud voice, "'Stand upright on your feet.' "'And he sprang up and began walking. "'And when the crowds saw what Paul had done, "'they lifted up their voices, saying in the Laconian language, "'The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. "'Barnabas they called Zeus, Paul, Hermes, "'because he was the chief speaker.' And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, wanting to offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying, "'Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news.'" that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations he allowed all nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices to them. So the miracle was there as a buttress to support the proclamation of the biblical gospel. Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus, the Anointed One. Crucified, risen from the grave for your sins and for your justification. Calling men to turn from their false gods to the living God and to be forgiven. You notice that that's what's missing here? I mean, he's talking a lot about this so called glory cloud. And uh, mm-hmm.
3: we're going to pray into this, actually, because there's a specific target that I feel like the Lord wants to. Uh, wants us to take chris as we were talking so
0: there's a target that you gotta pray into that god wants you to take hmm yeah this theology is convoluted
3: about this morning as a team leadership team he he prayed shared something prayed this prayer that i think is so strong so prophetic the uh... the signs the wonders that were displayed through moses those were all plagues this is new testament this is the hour of grace i feel like there's just going to be things that happen I, I, I feel a little strange in saying, I feel like there's things that are going to happen when they've been happening for years and years and years, but does it make any sense to you? I feel like he's intensifying it, he's upping it, he's increasing it. You got that video ready? If you've got that video ready, why don't you, it's just about 15 seconds, and I want to put a large piece together if I can get some of you to send me what you have. All right, just yeah, hold it right there, you can see right next to the screen, you see that kind of smoke there, Uh, well just watch
0: now i'm going to point something out here in this video the one thing that's very clear is wherever this smoky thing appeared there's scaffolding right above it you know scaffolding that goes along with um you know stage lighting and things like that so here's our options at this point This is either a man-made phenomenon, a false miracle made to look like a miracle, or its origin is demonic. The one thing we can say with certainty, its origin is not from God. Why? Because the false doctrine that's been taught for years at Bethel in Reading.
3: Back again, start it over. (laughs) Run it back again. Now pause it. Just pause it there for a second. There we go. For those of you that were here, uh, you remember, now this has happened all three times on Friday nights, late, late into the evening. started about 1130, went until about 1215, if, if I have my numbers right. Uh,
0: that's uh, all the more reason to be suspect about this. Late, Same, same night every time, Friday night late, uh, almost midnight. People are tired and worn out after working all week long, and it's late at night,
3: Uh uh-huh. But there was such intense worship, such intense worship, and and childlike wonder at what's happening. And uh, I wouldn't normally even show this to you. Except I really believe there's a there's a prophetic point to what God is going to be releasing. Go ahead and play it again. I got
0: Yeah, let's let's hear your prophetic
3: point. Let's see it again. Can you see the sparkles in the cloud? <laughs> That's good. Thanks. You can turn it off and turn the lights up. What do you think of that? It's pretty amazing. amazing.
0: Mm, no, I'm not impressed. I mean, I can't tell if it's a staged thing or not. And uh, like I said, you've been teaching such bad theology for years as there's no way that's from God in heaven above. <clears throat>
3: And you know, I've had several things happen through the years that, that were so ridiculously supernatural, but they were so natural that I had a hard time adjusting to what he was doing. Does that make sense? It, it didn't come with a thunderous voice and it was like smoke. And we sat there just stunned at what's happening. That's probably 20 or 30 minutes in into the into this billowing cloud, why do I share that? Well, I've got a feeling it's gonna start happening in your homes, in your places of business.
0: And maybe you have demons following you home.
3: This is what I'm thinking. I've I've, I've, I've already already seen in measure, we talked about what we think is going to happen and that's true, but we also have a, a history of unusual things happening. You know, we've, we've seen things. I've seen, I've been in a store where somebody falls out in the, under the presence of God, standing right next to me, not realizing that that presence that he was manifesting on me, to have them just laid out in a store. Uh, that's real hard to explain. <clears throat> I've had them, I've had them break into uncontrollable laughter and run out the door and then look back at me through the glass doors, go like this, just standing.
0: Hmm, I'm not hearing about Christ at all.
3: We've ordered in a restaurant and had this big old feather float between us and the waitress. Is that a feather? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And it it is funny to talk about it, really. It's, It's delightful, it's enjoyable, it's mysterious. But here's the deal, and I feel like Kathy was touching on it some Here's the, the thing that I felt the Lord really asked today. Are you willing to be a sign?
0: Hmm. Yeah, there's a big problem with the theology here. Are you willing to be a sign? Uh, what does that even mean, Bill?
3: And, and I know you've said yes, but before you say yes, <laughs> think about this. I had a friend uh, uh, call me on the phone actually about a month or so ago and I, I met him back in Toronto last week. <clears throat> And he called me with a dream that he had had. I won't go into specifics uh, in this right now, but...
0: Uh, uh, Now we're preaching somebody's dreams, okay.
3: I'll just say this, Uh, he called with a dream. Mm, I I don't want to say it was urgent, but it was close. Um, The Lord, something the Lord showed him and awakened him and spoke to him about what God was making available at Bethel, here. He lives in Canada, he had a dream about you and about me. And about what the Lord was making available. And it wasn't, interestingly, the dream was, it's available. It's not automatic. How many of you realize that there's a lot of things in the kingdom that are not automatic, but they are available? And that's exactly, that was the word of the Lord.
0: Uh, okay, so this man's dream was the word of the Lord. Uh huh. That should clinch it in your mind. This miracle wasn't from God. Whether or not it was man-made or not, still has yet to be seen. But we can say this was not from God.
3: And Then he began to talk about every move of God carries, he didn't use the word stigma, that's the word that I use when I talk about the subject. Every move of God has something in it that is offensive. He adds an offensive element to every new outpouring that there is it happened in toronto
0: and i i'm yeah the toronto blessing the holy laughter movement that wasn't from god i don't know what he's about to do that helped give us people like patricia king but i know todd bentley this
3: if we remain presence centered it won't bother us
0: oh say stay presence centered okay no, it's, that's not good. That's false teaching, ma'am.
3: If looking good to other people matters to you, uh, you're about to hit a speed bump. <laughs> I have an acquaintances with the Lord now, but sitting on a plane, gold just started manifesting, literally just started falling. People could see it falling on him. And the stewardess came over stunned she ended up getting saved people all around him start getting saved because saved from what how do you
0: get saved because gold dust fell on somebody just he's just sitting there
3: and the lord would appear upon him and people would see it and they would get saved just this gold would start manifesting start falling it sounds cool but you don't get to turn it on and you don't get to turn it off
0: yeah I, I what does that have to do with calling people to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins by Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave on the third day Not a thing again Jesus warned us he warned us in matthew chapter twenty four verse twenty four matthew twenty four twenty four for false christ's and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. I don't care if Bill Johnson starts spewing chicken feathers out of his nose, and it can be proven that he didn't put them there ahead of time. He's not teaching biblical truth. These are signs and wonders that are designed by Satan to lead people astray. Even the elect, if that were possible. So it doesn't matter if somebody performs a miracle. The question is, what's the theology attached to it? Jesus warned us ahead of time. This would happen. Jesus knew what he was talking about. because. Now it's here. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous edition of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, at fightingforthefaith.com Or ask me my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash Christian, Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pyre Christian. We'll be right back. We're going to be reviewing a, um, a uh, leadership lecture recently delivered at Exponential. You don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. When he asked Peter, who do you say that I am, Jesus wasn't looking for affirmation. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... (laughs) Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time, but we're not reviewing a sermon. We're doing something a little bit different up our music here. the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today we're not reviewing a sermon, we're listening to a lecture delivered at the 2011 Exponential Conference. These are folks that are affiliated with the top echelons of the seeker-driven movement. This is a seeker-driven Führership Conference. They're not teaching pastors. uh, They're teaching leaders. The name of the lecture is Building Kingdom Movementum. Well, that sure is a clever name. The, The lecture is delivered by a gentleman by the name of Neil Cole. Neil Cole is the author of such books as Organic Church, Growing Faith Where Life Happens, as well as the Leadership Network book entitled Church 3.0, Upgrades for the Future of the Church. He's also the um, author of the book Organic Leadership, Leading Naturally Right Where You Are. Kind of gives you an idea of what it is that we're going to be listening to here. So, I mean, as you listen to this, this is supposedly about building momentum. I don't know what that means. So, um, let me kill the music without any further ado. Uh, here is Neil Cole, Building Kingdom momentum. Uh, here we go. I, you know, actually, I haven't listened to this whole thing, so I don't even know where this is going to land. But uh, I want you to hear it all, because this is what's being taught to church leaders, furs. Here we go ever
6: showed this was in indonesia and i thought man maybe i shouldn't show a tidal wave in indonesia Uh, but (laughs) i did anyway and it was powerful It really made sense to them because they understood the power of momentum uh better than some and they they understood that uh that's that's part of nature part of the organic design of things and that we can see an actual tidal wave of, of god's kingdom spreading across the land if we, uh, if we release it. So what we're going to look at here in this workshop is how to build a multiplication movement. There's latent power within every disciple that needs to be released to multiply. Um, and it won't happen if it's dependent upon leaders. It won't happen if we keep doing strategies that are addition oriented. So I'm going to uh, start by telling you, I've been on a search for this all my life, looking for multiplication. And I found it in other parts of the world, but can we actually see it in the United States? Will we see a multiplication movement in our generation, in our day, in our land? And after searching for this secret, and like I told you before, reading the book of Acts and reading books by Roland Allen and others, I finally found that the secret to multiplication is in every follower. Christ in you is the hope of glory and nothing else is. That's the best part of you. I'm amazed sometimes when we try to impress people with things about ourselves. You know, a beauty queen or a, I have an artistic ability or a musician or I speak well or I'm a good leader or I start businesses or I wear fashionable clothing or, you know, whatever you think is, makes you special. All the time, that's like putting bumper stickers on something beautiful, which is Christ in you. That's the most important part of who you are. And that's the part the world needs to see. And that's the part we cover up with other shallow identities that fade with time and rust, with decay. Uh, you know I used to be a, an athlete, but look at me now, you know it, it doesn't stay. You lose it. Uh, I, I used to be a lifeguard, but uh, not anymore. You know? And I, if I, if I, it's so sad to see people that rely upon what they used to be when all along, we Christians carry within us. In infinite glory in Christ in us. We, we, we hide that with other senses of identity that's not that good. So what I need to do, what you need to do, is learn to release the beauty in real people that's in them, that's Christ. And that's a life change. The power of multiplication is in a life change. God is the source of all momentum.
0: It's, it's the power of a changed life. That Hold is- on, it's not stopped. There we go. So the power... Is uh, is in a life changed? Hmm. Yeah, you know, um, uh, Al-Anon changes lives. Uh, Alcoholics Anonymous changes lives. I mean, one could even argue that Islam changes lives. So, I mean, what does that have to do with anything? My life isn't the gospel. The gospel is the story of Jesus' life, him and hi- him, crucified. For my sins, raised again on the third day for my justification. It's his life change that matters. That really ultimately proves the truthfulness of the Christian truth claim.
6: And if people aren't changing, we're doing something wrong. And your sermons don't change people. As good as your sermons are, and I'm sure they're the best. <laughs>
3: You're
6: right. It's Jesus that saves people. Yeah. So if we're not, if the power of movement is latent in each of us, why are we not seeing it happen? That's the question I want to look at. And in the beginning, God spoke the world into existence, as I said earlier today. And then he said to mankind, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Think about what he didn't say.
0: I mean, he could. Have... Um, yeah, that multiplication occurs via um, a very physical act that uh, husbands and wives do. Um, that was not a, a call to you know, for church growth, if you know what I mean. Well, you can argue that the church grew that way, but um, a little bit different than evangelism, if you get my drift. I said, "Are you having a good day? What do you think of my
6: creation? Did you see those stars?" You want to know their names. He didn't say any of that. He said, be fruitful and multiply. That is very important to God. Uh, And then Jesus' last words are to multiply. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Latent within the Great Commission is multiplication. Because I want you to see... He says we are to make disciples, and to do that, we are to teach them to obey His commands, and He commanded us to make disciples. You see the multiplication? Make disciples who obey the command to make disciples. It's reproduction. So, the first words of God is multiplication. The last words of Jesus is multiplication. It's something we ought to take serious. And I'm amazed that the most wicked men...
0: So now, so, so apparently we're seeing in the text, in the subtext of the text, the word multiplication. Uh-huh. On earth have obeyed
6: God's first command, but the church hasn't. That's right. We need to learn how to multiply. Multiplication is not an option. <clears throat> it's the command of God. It is the design of the Creator and we need to get back to it or we are messing up because look at this the world is multiplying in 1987 I went to a missions conference I was very young then uh, It called Urbana anybody been to Urbana anyone go to the one in 1987 no one just me there. oh you were there alright it's a great missions conference I think it was the last one Billy Graham did it was uh, it was pretty impressive While I was there, the big news of the day was that the world population had passed 5 billion. And that was every seminar they were talking about this. They were saying things like, there are more people alive on the planet today than all of history combined. Now, that was back in 1987. And in my lifetime, we passed 5 billion, we passed 6 billion, and we are this close to passing 7 billion. What took Which, ironically, we did that this week. Okay. Millennia to get to is now only taking decades, and soon it will be quicker than that. The world is multiplying. They are obeying the design and the command of God. If the church only adds, we won't even make a scratch on the surface. We have to learn to multiply. So let's have a basic lesson in math. (laughs) Now, if my... Second grade teacher saw that I was teaching a basic lesson on math. She'd roll over in her grave. I'm not a great math student, nor are any of my family members, except maybe my wife. Uh, But I do know a few things about math. There is multiplication, addition, subtraction, and division. Two of these leave you in the black. Two of them leave you in the red, right? The church is quite good at division (laughs) we do division very well do you know how many denominations there are (laughs) they split regularly we're good at division we're not bad at subtraction the percentage of christianity is actually diminishing in the united states at times Uh, we're very good at addition Uh, much of what we say in the, the exponential conference a lot of the strategies are actually addition oriented not all there's a lot more multiplication than ever before I've been coming to this conference from the beginning and it's really changing but a lot of what's being done in church today is addition multiplication is where we need to go because addition will lead to some momentum you can grow but if you want movement or momentum you need to
0: multiply mhm yeah and the word momentum occurs in what passage of the bible I'm not familiar with the great movementum passage. And that's the key. You cannot get to multiplication
6: by using addition. Like I said earlier, you can hit the plus sign as many times as you want. It's still going to just be addition. You have to change what you're doing. You can't make what you're doing suddenly multiply. Like Einstein said uh, the, the kind of thinking that created these world's problems. Has, in order to change these world's problems, we have to use a different kind of thinking, the kind of thinking that created these problems in the first place. More of the same produces what? You tell me. Yeah, and insanity is to keep doing the same thing, thinking you're going to get different results. So I want you to, this whole workshop is going to be about thinking about multiplication instead of addition. Now, I gave you a brief lesson on math. It wasn't that brief. Every lesson should come with a test. So now I want to give you a math test. I'm going to ask you some questions that have haunted me for 25 years. So you can be haunted. You can lose sleep now. All right? I want this, this is, these questions are a test to see if what you're doing can actually multiply. If you, what would you do if 100 people came to Christ in a day? That would be great, wouldn't it? We'd rejoice. We'd find a place for them, wouldn't we? That wouldn't be too hard. What if 1,000 came to Christ in a week? Ooh, okay. That's cool. That's great. It sounded like Book of Acts time, right? We'd have to hire more staff. We'd have to maybe add a couple services to our week, but we could manage, right? What would you do if 10,000 came to Christ in a month? Now we'd have to rent out you know, the, the Amway Arena or something.
0: Nope, I'd split the church up. Yeah, I'd split the church up. Why? Because in order for those people to be effectively, qualitatively disciples, okay, for them to be discipled, um, that would require more than just them receiving a weekly lecture from uh, their pastor. They actually need to be shepherded. And um, that would require you to bust that church up into a bunch of little churches. And to uh, all those little churches to have qualified pastors who understand the job, Of Their job as pastors is to serve the congregation and build those people up. If discipling somebody just required them to get information, then all we'd have to do is create the once-for-all discipleship DVD teaching series and make sure that every new Christian got got one and watched it, and ta-da, they'd be a Christian, right? Teaching them to observe all. That requires you to teach the full counsel of the Word of God. So, yeah, no, um, I'd bust that church up into a bunch of tiny little churches, put pastors up, over each and every one of those congregations with no congregation exceeding 300 people. 300 at most, and in the congregation that had 300 people, you'd have two pastors. 100, 150, you'd have one. And it
6: would be awfully hard, but feasible, expensive, but feasible to accommodate 10,000 people in a month. Now, what are you going to do if a million come to Christ in a year? There is no stadium that you can house them. You cannot hire enough staff members to pastor them. You don't have enough Sunday school workers or small group leaders. Suddenly now, you cannot accommodate a million people coming to Christ in a year with your old way of doing church. So
0: here's Oh okay, so this hypothetical million people coming to Christ requires me to completely rethink church. Ah, that's what you were after. Got it. The test.
6: 100 if your goal is to see 100 people accept Jesus in a year, multiply that by a million. And the answer is 100 million. I did I used a calculator, but I figured it out. If your current strategy cannot reach 100 million, your current strategy is not a multiplication movement.
0: Oh, fork. Come on. Seriously? If, if your current strategy can't handle 100 million uh, people, then it's uh, it's not a multiplication strategy. Yeah, I, y- I'm not buying it. I'm not granting the premise. I'm... I'm yeah, I'm smelling... So- yeah, that, that smells like a con to me.
6: See, multiplication has exponential growth. So the only limit is the number in the, the uh, size of the population. But the current methods we have of church all have capacities, which indicate we're doing addition, that we can grow to a certain size, but we have to stop because we don't have the capacity to go beyond that. Multiplication just keeps building. We need that kind of movement or momentum, and we need to be ready for it. Are you ready for these kind of results?
0: Yeah, if you're not ready for 100 million people coming to your church, well, then you're just not ready. I mean, unless you're prepared for one-third of the population of the United States showing up in your parking lot, well, then you're not ready for multiplication.
2: We,
6: we're, God's not going to give that to us if we can't steward it well.
0: Oh, brother. That's okay. I'll just ha- I'll just bring some people from Robert Morris's church. They tithe and steward all the you know all the time, so uh, they, they'll they'll earn it through their uh, redemptive blessing stuff that they do with their tithing.
6: You know, praying for revival, but maybe God's a little bit hesitant to give us that revival because we're not ready for it. There are there's an example I like to look at recent history. When communism took over Russia, there was a revolution. They seized all the church properties and turned them into train stations. They, they arrested the, or killed the priests of, of the church, or they compromised them. And church died, except for small remnants and pockets. Now in China, when communism took over, something else happened. Prior to the revolution, there were some Chinese leaders that began to see we need an indigenous expression of church, not something imported from the West. We need something that, that is led by ordinary people meeting in homes. And people like Watchman Nee started the Little Flock Movement, meeting in homes, led by lay people.
0: Mm, yeah, Watchman Nee and Witless, uh, I'm sorry, Witness Lee. Um, yeah, that, that group uh, turns out to be a cult. And beware what you say about them in public, or they sue you.
6: People. And when communism came and arrested Watchman Nee and threw him in jail and all of the other leaders and seized all their properties, church didn't go away, did it? It exploded with growth. And I believe in our day, we are seeing God prepare his church for something that's coming. So that we don't just go away when it comes. So that we explode under the pressure of whatever is coming. I've been coming to Exponential every year since it started. First year I came here, nobody knew anything about organic church. And those who did see me, they go,
5: what are you doing here? This is not your kind of place.
6: Well, anywhere there's church planning, it's my kind of place. But over the years, I'm beginning to see
0: everybody's talking
6: about this. We have to change. And I think God's speaking.
0: Uh, okay, so you think God's speaking, And because you came up with your little formula that says unless you're ready for 100 million people showing up at your church, that means that we've got to change. Uh, Yeah, again, I'm not buying it. Why would we deviate from what's worked for 2,000 years for something that, well, just came along lately and, well, and then it kind of percolated up in your brain? Um, yeah, I'm going to go with the 2,000-year proven track record thing. And we need to listen and be prepared for what he
6: has. Be ready for momentum. Now, here's some things that church multiplication is not, ever. Gathering and assimilating Christians from other churches to form new ones is not church multiplication. It never will be. It's not success. It's not even church addition. You haven't added anything. And yet, sometimes that's paraded as a success, isn't it? Just because you have a lot of people leaving other churches to come to yours doesn't make you a success. That's
4: right.
6: Not in my book. Um, You know, in my lifetime, we went from a handful of megachurches to having a handful of megachurches in every town. (laughs) I mean, it's explosive growth. If you look at the number of megachurches that have gone from just a few to thousands in the United States. And yet the percentage of Christianity has dropped in that time. That should be a wake up call. Really what's happening is Walmart has come to town and the mom and pop store is going out of business. That's kind of what's happening. I hate to say it. I'm not saying every megachurch isn't reaching people for Jesus, but I'm saying a lot of them aren't. They're reaching Christians from other churches. Because they're offering better services, better music, better preaching, and we have consumer-oriented disciples that don't know how to do anything but receive, and they're drawn to it. This isn't going to change the world. And to label that a success is a mistake. Church planting without multiple generations is not going to is not church multiplication. Now what I mean by that is you have the mother church that has daughter churches and granddaughters and great-granddaughters and you have multiple generations. And this diagram is just going to the sixth generation, but it can keep going, right? That's momentum. That's what we want to see. And a lot of the strategies that are being employed today and heralded today will not produce a third generation and certainly not a fourth. And the reality is, the the true test of whether you're multiplying is found in the fourth generation. So I start telling people, don't call it multiplying until you get to the fourth generation. You may be multiplying, but you'll know it when you get to the fourth generation. And that's kind of the biblical standard, because Paul says to Timothy, the things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You have Paul, that's the first generation. You have Timothy, that's the second generation you have faithful men that's the third generation and then you have others also there you go to the fourth generation because the reality is if you're a strong leader you'll attract other leaders who will have followers because they're leaders and you could have three generations just through addition but to get to others also the fourth generation everybody has to be giving everything away instead of being attractional it's more missional it's going rather than coming it's not man-centered it's christ-centered and it's explosive
0: and you can't. um can you explain to me how it's Christ centered i haven't heard much about jesus in this little lecture that you're giving but i you know you sure have come up with some clever phrases almost like starbucks you know like the venti decaf mocha latte uh, macchiato um so now we've got the the missional momentum incarnational thing um i'm not sure what that means um but i'm glad you brought the name christ and said he should be at the center but Um, yeah, all of the stuff that I'm hearing from you doesn't make a wink of sense. Can't get to that fourth
6: generation by just traditional addition strategies. You have to shift gears and start doing things differently. And that's what this is all about, this workshop. A centralized leadership development system that starts many churches is not church multiplication and never can be. Now, I need to say this. Church addition is not bad. It's better than a subtraction. All right? Goes without saying. Addition is in the black, not the red. So if you're adding disciples, you're adding leaders, you're adding churches, praise God, it's going in the right direction. But if you have a boot camp or a church planting center or a seminary or a Bible institute that is training up its leaders and sending them out, no matter how many times you do it, it's only addition growth.
0: Mm, Okay, yeah. Now keep in mind that uh, what we're hearing for free here is on the Exponential Podcast, Uh, but that uh, originally folks had to pay to, first of all, uh, buy their admission to the Exponential Conference um travel to the exponential conference um pay for their lodging and food at the exponential conference and and so they you know they paid a lot of money for this training you know and um so far i haven't found anything worth the price of admission like not even close or even the cost of a lunch um at the exponential conference and what i'm hearing here
6: look here's the institution what kind of growth is this it's addition growth isn't it yeah, um, and, and it's only going to be incremental growth. The only way it becomes multiplication is if that institution then starts another one, that starts another one, that starts another one and goes to the fourth generation. Now we have multiplication. This is exponential growth.
0: Mm-hmm. So, the, I, I, you know, hey, I'm, I'm all for that concept. This, this is one of the reasons why I think you ought to bust up mega Um he, Here's the idea. Um, you know, let's say your church grows to four hundred people. Break that puppy up. Um, you can plant two more churches. You know, take take a hundred. You know, uh, to start one church, take a hundred to start another church, and uh, get a good pastor in for each of those two congregations. And you've got two, you know, literally from the beginning, kind of growing congregations right there that you can work with. And not only that, they, they, because of the – think of it this way. Okay, um, I used to live in the state of California, okay, and I'm I'm very happy that I don't live there now. Uh, but years ago, I remember a political uh, initiative, a, a one of those ballot measures that uh, was put onto the ballot. And the reason why it was put on the ballot is, well, because California schools were doing just – miserably they were doing terribly and what they did is they took a look at the student to teacher ratio and what they found is in a lot of school districts there was one teacher for like 50 students and they found that there some through some research at the time now I, I can't tell you whether or not the research is really valid or not but this is how the argument went that uh, there there, there seemed to be an inverse uh, direct proportional ratio type of thing going on. That as the number of students increased per single teacher, the grades collectively of the people in that class, of the kids in that class, collectively went down. And so... Now, grasping on to this latest and greatest uh, you know, study that showed the inverse proportional relationship thingy going on there in the classroom, they came up with an idea. So they passed a ballot initiative, and a, the ballot initiative dictated that in California classrooms that the greatest number of students there could be in any single class was like 30, okay? And the the idea was is that that it would create... Better learning opportunities through, you know, by increasing individual interaction between the teacher and the student. Okay, um, so that that was the idea here. Now I don't know if it actually worked, but I I think that that was probably a positive thing in the education in the education of many of the youths in uh, the state of California. Okay, personally, I have benefited greatly, greatly, in my growth as a christian by being able to interact with and ask questions of and have uh, individual um attention paid to me by my pastors uh yeah i got to tell you it it like night and day difference okay um, I, I have found that um, it, things just don't go well in the spiritual growth department, in congregations where um, I can tootle in and tootle out, and the pastor wouldn't even know I was there or not there, okay? Um, there's something to be said about a smaller congregation being where a pastor truly is caring for you, feeding for you, knows you, um, knows your strengths, knows your weaknesses, and um, when you're having a struggle, is there to teach you, pray with you, spend time with you, answer your questions, counsel you, all of that kind of. It's, yeah, I gotta tell you, there's something, there's something to be said about that. Okay. And so what that does is that type of individual attention by a pastor creates depth in a Christian that then results in their ability to coherently, confidently, lucidly, proclaim and defend um, the the claims of Christianity to their pagan friends and neighbors. And I think that makes a big difference in multiplication and things like that. So, um, going back to my point, um, you want to talk about multiplication? Let's do it the way the church has historically done it. Bust up the big churches. Keep focusing in on small flocks and uh, big depth of teaching, but the, see, here's the other part about it is, is that one of the reasons why it's a great idea to bust up big congregations is this, is that you know, let, you know, let's say you have one congregation of ten thousand people, if the pastor ain't doing a good job, you got ten thousand people who claim to be Christians who are, well, they're not being properly fed and cared for you take 300 you take 10,000 divided by 300 that'll tell you how many different congregations you have you have a greater chance of uh of ensuring that the people in the smaller congregations are being fed and cared for and are growing in the smaller congregations um than you do in the bigger ones and uh, and then if a pastor is doing a miserable job at one congregation you've only got a few hundred people that are affected as opposed to 10,000 So uh, smaller congregations with well-qualified pastors, that's a great protective measure uh, in the church, too. Historically, this is is just how things have been done, and it's worked great for 2,000 years.
6: Like the name of the conference? We need to see this. But however, that said, even if you saw this happening, and I never have seen an institution do this, right? Right? But even if you could, this is still not a church multiplication movement. What is it? It's an institutional movement. (laughs) See, in order for there to be a true multiplication movement, the church must be self-perpetuating. That is, she is healthy and enduring and will continue to live without needing any outside props or infusion of resources and self-propagating. She reproduces and will naturally start self-perpetuating groups that will in turn do the same. The DNA of multiplication has to be in the churches in order for the churches to multiply. And if they're dependent upon an outside institution, it's not multiplication. A lot of our strategies just went through the window, didn't they? We have to rethink, you know, can church do this by itself? They're in my book, Church 3.0. So for fourteen
7: ninety-five.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah, you saw that one coming, didn't we? <laughs>
6: yeah, sorry about that. I saw
7: right.
6: Church, what? 3.0. 3.0. Okay, another idea is a big and fast start with slow and steady growth thereafter is not church multiplication and can never get there. Oops, did I step on toes? I'm sorry. We're so accustomed to thinking of this big launch, and once we get this big launch, we'll be an established church, and then we can grow and multiply. The reality is it's never a big and fast start. Multiplication is always a slow and small start, and this slide's going to be familiar to you. Exponential growth starts slow and small and builds to rapid momentum over time. It's the only way.
0: So um, how are we describing the word momentum? What does that mean in that sentence? So what we need to do is
6: see a multiplication. Now, here's that chart I showed you before. Maybe you can see it this time, although it's still dark, isn't it? I need to change the colors. Disciple making movement by a factor of two over, uh, this is, I think, 15 years. It's a long runway before you have a takeoff. You have to plan for that. Now, if you're on a, th- a three years descending support system, where every year your salary gets cut by a third over three years, you're not going to multiply, are you? You're going to add because it's the only way you can pay the bills. Our whole systems are built around addition, not multiplication. We have to take our finger off the plus sign and move it to the X sign, or we're not going to multiply And nobody's probably going to... There's the takeoff. You probably saw that during the same... You didn't see the blue lines. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. They were there. You just couldn't see them. Year one, two disciples. Year two, four. And you get eight. And then finally 16. You get to be a small group after four years. Like I said, you're not going to get written up in the denominational newsletter. <laughs> By the seventh year, you're a real church. You know, 128 people. Now you can actually you know, vote at the denominational floor once a year. Uh, but you're still, you know, you're not going to be asked to speak at exponential over that. But as each year doubles, look at these numbers. Now, it's true, no one sees pure multiplication with these kind of numbers. There's, there's drop-off, and there's things that don't work, and there's people that don't last. And the, this, but however, that said, this is what multiplication looks like. We need to, we need to strive for this. And then after 20 years, you pass a million people this way. Whoa! Now, on the 20th year, that sounds great. On the second year, you feel like an abject failure, don't you? If you don't have in your mind multiplication. This is all possible if one of you Not all of you, but just one of you says, I'm going to take this serious and make a disciple this year in such a way that next year they can make a disciple. And you keep doing that. For 20 years, you get a million people. 34 years, you reach the entire population of the earth and beyond.
4: I find it incredibly discouraging to hear that this isn't happening here in the United States. So really what everybody's talking about is theory. I mean, here for the United States... But is there an example of anybody in the United States who's actually doing something they might be on the early side of the curve that would be an encouragement to all of us? Because right now we're just talking theory.
6: Actually, I disagree with the idea it's not happening in the States.
4: Well, you just said it. That, that you-
6: I said that that's what led me to do what I'm doing, okay. that it wasn't happening. And so I began to do things differently. Our first year we started 10 churches, the next year 18. The next year we started... Uh, 52, the next year 106, the next year 200, and then we lost count. So we started counting uh, how many training events we do. And now we're doing a a weekend training event every week somewhere in the world. Uh, Our churches are multiplying. Ed Stetzer himself, who's the one who's saying there is no church planning movement in North America, did a survey of our movement. They surveyed uh, 100 of our leaders representing 53 churches. They found out that 52 of the 53 had daughter churches that year. That's a high level of reproduction, right? That's like almost
4: 100%.
6: I'm really kind of mad at that one guy.
1: <laughs>
6: What's wrong with you? <laughs> he found out that 30% – let me finish. I'll, I'll call on you. 30% have, uh, have had planted six or more churches, and 30% had seen granddaughter churches already. And this was a few years ago. And we're seeing 25% conversion growth rate as a whole, but 50% in the cities. So I think there is one. The question really isn't why isn't there one. The question is what, it, what, will, it, what will it look like in the States? Because we're not China and India. We are a, a population that comes from a Christian background. So if you want a high level of conversion growth rate, you're going to have to start saying no to all the Christians. That's the, that's the difference. So we, we have to think in terms of that. So I think there is this movement. I can point to several generations. I have guys that I have led to Christ, baptized, discipled that have now started several churches and have now led people to Christ, discipled them, trained them, and they are now starting churches and now they are trainers of trainers. This you know, is happening. We're seeing dramatic kingdom results. Uh, but it's different than the old system. So the old way of evaluating things doesn't work. So, so people aren't recognizing what's really happening. But homelessness is reduced by 25% in Long Beach because of our movement. That's not going to show up probably in most statistical reports, but it's happening. So there, there's stuff. I think there is one, actually. And it is, you know, guys being saved off the streets. Now, not all of CMA is that way. Portions of it are, depending on whether there's an apostolic leader involved or not for a foundation. One of the things we problems we have is we build foundations with evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. The true gifts to lay a foundation are apostles and prophets. So, I think we need to rethink some of that stuff. But that's yeah. I think uh, uh, we lay a foundation. Uh, there are no apostles today. Um, hmm. Foundation with evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, and they're not foundation layers. They're builders. The apostles and prophets are the gifts Christ gave to lay the foundation. The multiplying.
0: No, Christ, the gifts he gave, gave, gave. The 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 apostles, are they're gone. There ain't none left. There haven't been since John died. The multiplying gift is the apostolic
6: gift. Think about it like this. You guys know any ex- exceptional evangelists? Yeah. Yeah. And, and when you see them doing their gift, what do you think? Whew, I wish I had that gift. Well, that doesn't multiply. Then everybody just starts bringing their friends to meet the evangelist who closes. So evangelism
0: doesn't multiply uh, the church. I'm going to bang my head against something here. Um, I thought evangelists were part of, yeah, never mind. Forget the fact that it's biblical. It's a deal. It's not multiplication. When an
6: apostle is apostolizing, the people say, I can do this.
0: Uh, Yeah, uh, we got a problem there. When you got somebody claiming to be apostle and they're apostolizing, that's not really the right way of saying. If you got somebody claiming to be apostle today, um, when they're speaking, they're not apostolizing. They're apostatizing. There's a difference. And apostatizing is bad. And they do.
6: That's the foundation. When a prophet is doing his thing or her thing, the people say, I can hear God. Well, there's a foundation. I can hear God and I can do it. Now we have the foundation of a movement. When a teacher teaches, people say, man, I wish I was that smart. It's amazing what he knows or she knows. Mm. That doesn't multiply. So God gave certain gifts to lay a foundation Apostles and prophets, not evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. But we try to, we've elevated those roles above all the others. In fact, the teacher has a monopoly. The teacher has had control for so many years that they've actually taught that apostles and prophets don't exist. They call themselves shepherds. And they say to the evangelists, you should start a parachurch organization out there. And the evangelists gladly will because they're tired of all the red tape. And the teachers have a monopoly over church. They don't do it intentionally. But that's kind of what's happened. Mm. They've even taught, there's the pastor and teacher. You even hear teachers say this, pastors and teachers is one gift. And they get out their Greek text to prove it. I think they're wrong. I think it's two different gifts. So I, that just, it's not, that's just not freebie. That's not part of this presentation. But to answer your question, you had a question, Brent.
4: I suppose if you thought this, that would look different. But can one person? More than two people per year. Yeah. One person to do three or
6: four per year. Yeah, absolutely. Jesus did twelve four, in three years, okay. yeah.
4: Okay.
6: Yeah. So yes. This is the minimum, right? All right. <laughs> so in our generation, the reality is every generation has the ability to kill the church forever or reach the whole world forever, depending on what we do with with our time. A lot of people say, well, what are you doing about future generations? So the reality is they're going to have to make their own decision. I can't make a decision for them in my generation. That's where we go wrong. When we start putting together systems to make sure that future generations obey, what we end up doing is building an institution that conforms people to a pattern. And they don't have their own faith. They're living off the residue faith of a previous generation.
4: Quick question. Um, help me
0: read uh, can you prove that statement?
4: Define church. He says you, you planted 16 churches, 32 churches, and for me, someone like me who grew up in a church and in the church right. planner i planted two churches. You know, I think of church in a way I know it. Are you thinking house church movement? tell me define when you say you planted 32 churches?
6: Right. We've defined church as a living, living thing that's fruitful and multiplies. And uh, the standard definition, the definition I got in seminary of a church was really a description, not a definition. It was five things. There was a group of believers that gathered together regularly, that considered themselves a church, that had qualified elders, that practiced baptism and communion, and they had a solid uh, same doctrinal foundation or evangelistic purpose. Those five things. Doesn't that sound fun? I can't wait to go, right? Uh, I look at that list and I don't see anything wrong with it.
0: Yeah, that's why you just took a swipe at it, right? Because you didn't see anything wrong with it? But I don't think it's enough. Oh, okay, so it's not sufficient. And uh, so what we need are apostles and prophets to come back and...
6: Uh-huh. Uh, I think it's missing something. It's missing Jesus. Jesus is what makes the difference. Yeah, oh, man. So we've defined church this way. The presence of Jesus among his people called out as a spiritual family to pursue his mission on this planet. The presence of Jesus... Sounds like he came up with his own definition of church there. Called out as a spiritual family. I'm sorry. The presence of Jesus among his people called out as a spiritual family to pursue his mission on this planet. So when I say a church, that's what I'm talking about. Most of them meet in homes or on college campuses, in dormitories and sororities and fraternities, or in, uh, we've had one that met in a locker room. Uh, Do you got any that meet in a church building? Uh, we've had them meet at the beach or in a park, depending on where you live. Uh, they've met, you know, and we don't call them parking lot churches, and I don't call them house churches. We call them organic, <laughs> emphasizing the life and the reproductivity. And the presence of Jesus among his people called out as a spiritual family to pursue his mission on this planet. Either one will work. This planet or another one.
0: (laughs) Here's a simple historic definition taken from the Augsburg Confession. The church is understood to be the congregation of the saints, those who are called out, and true believers. Ta-da! Pretty simple. Okay.
4: You said yesterday that you, um, you, you were thinking you would have a monthly worship service Yes. along with these organic right. groups, smaller groups. Do you see that happening in, in any of these places as a way to deal with this?
6: Yeah, and I'm going to get to that in a moment. So let me move on. We'll just take that chart, flip it upside down, put it on a hill so gravity teaches us about real momentum, all right? Because you're familiar with gravity, right? How many of you are familiar with gravity? (laughs) Put a car up at the top of the hill that is uh, out of gas and in neutral, and it doesn't take much to stop it. You know, you can just put your foot in front of the tire and it won't go. And it's not even hurting because there's no momentum there to, And these are the things that are killing us. And this is a little bit more than what I said on on the stage today. Seduction of addition in early stages, talked about that. Corrupted DNA in the disciples, talked about that a little bit. Trying to accommodate unmotivated people. We do this all the time. You know, most pastors, their job description can be written out as trying to motivate unmotivated people.
7: Right, right, right,
6: right. That's what we do all the time. Well, listen, if they don't have it, if Jesus in them isn't enough to motivate them, your sermon isn't going to do it. Jesus died and rose from the dead to give them motivation. Your sermon is just not going to compare to that.
0: Um, to give them motivation, okay.
7: Uh, wow.
6: All right? And, and even if you have a string section at the end with a poem and you cry, it's you're just going to have to do it again next week. So so just stop trying to motivate unmotivated people. Trying to force growth from the outside in. It's not a behavior codification that we're about. It's a transformation from the inside. So you can't make church more holy from the outside with a program. It must be disciples from the inside with the love of Jesus. And then we have these dependency issues, which I talked about and I will talk about a little bit more again. And we just mentioned this in lack of apostolic Foundation. All of this is a result of misplaced faith. What we need to do is get out of the way. And that's why we're not seeing a whole lot of this is people are in the way. The way we do leadership is we're the expert. They follow us. Most people don't know how to hear God's voice. All they know how to do is hear God through your voice. And that won't lead to a movement. Mm,
0: Okay, so how do they hear God's voice? Would it be something as simple as opening the Bible and reading it?
6: Unless you are omnipresent. Anyone omnipresent? It ain't going to be a movement then. Get out of the way. Trying to stop this car halfway down the hill is impossible. You're just going to be a grease spot. You're not even going to slow the car down. Once you build the momentum, once you start that growth curve, nothing can stop it. The gates of hell will not prevail. It's those early stages where we go wrong and why we're not seeing multiplication. James said, Therefore be patient, brethren. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. You're going to have to endure some of those slower steps. Now, in searching for movements, I just, uh, did discover the genetic code, and we mapped the genome of the body of Christ, and it's very complicated, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. It's three things, divine truth, nurturing relationships, and apostolic movement. I guess it's not that complicated. And it must be from God because it actually spells DNA. Did you notice that? <laughs> Whew, in English, which is God's language. By divine truth, I mean the connection of God and man. It's the d- connection of deity and humanity. It must involve humanity to be divine truth, be- which we, always, we don't really think about it that way. But do. God's word is divine truth, is it not? Who wrote it? God and, and man together. And yet, its original autographs is perfect. It's powerful. It's a revelation of God and man. It's truth. It sheds light. Jesus, is he divine truth? I'm the way and the truth. Yes. Is he, is he human or is he divine? The answer is yes. And he's a perfect representation of man on the cross and a, and a representation of the Father. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. So it involves both and. It's the incarnation of God's truth in humanity that we need to see. Nurturing relationships are all the one another's in the New Testament. You know any? Love one another, serve one another, build up one another, confess your sins to one another, sing songs of hymns and spiritual songs to one another. It's all through the Bible. That's the nurturing relationships that's important to see church. And then, apostolic mission is not a tractional mission, come to us. It's sent. One holy apostolic church, the Nicene Creed says, right? We are a sent agency, not a sending agency. All of us are sent. We all carry apostolic mission within us. We should. Unfortunately, some churches, they have the D, they have the N, they need a kick in the A. They don't have apostolic mission. Or they have divine truth, nurturing relationships, and attractional mission. And that's also an A, but it doesn't result in movement. Don't supplement the DNA, don't subtract from the DNA, and don't separate it into its component parts. Don't specialize. Well, that one's not my gift, this one is. Don't be the senior pastor that only studies the word and preaches the word, and that's it, because their messages will not have meaning without relationship or mission involved. And DNA should be the driving force of every cell of the body, and a cell is not a cell group of people. It's a disciple in relationship to another disciple. That's the unit, the smallest unit of church life. That's where we need the DNA. This is my favorite part. Wow. There we go. I had to do that. Jesus said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell among the path. Some, the birds came and ate it up. Some fell in the rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because of the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root other seed fell on the thorns among the thorns and when they grew up they choked the plants so that they could bear no grain still other seed fell on the good soil they came up and grew and produced a crop multiplying 30fold 60fold a hundredfold jesus said listen to this parable in fact he went so far to say if you don't understand this parable you don't understand any of the parables that seems important and this is the one parable. He, it's mentioned three times in the New Testament, and all three times, he gives a detailed description of what every part is. It's the only parable like that. He's saying, if you don't understand this, all is lost for the kingdom. And we have not paid attention to this parable. And it has to do with two things, a seed in soil. Good seed, good soil produces multiplication. There it is. Jesus said it.
0: And the good seed is the word of God. If you mess up the seed or you mess
6: up the soil, you lose multiplication. You have to get both right. So we need to learn to believe in the seed. The seed, he says, is the word of God. He says, for you have been born again, not a seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. He said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is isn't these that testify about me. It is not just a book with printed pages. It is a voice. It's a living
0: voice. Agree. That we carry within us. He wrote Uh, that we carry within us. Uh, uh, Kind of. His law
6: on your heart. Not with leather bound pages, but with your beating heart. We need to get to the point where we understand the voice of God is alive and now. It's not just a book that you read. It's not a technical manual. Does anybody here like to read technical manuals? There's always a couple. Raise your hand if you do. Be proud. I mean, these are the people using all the software on their computer. Anyone? No one? No one? Ah, there we I knew there was one. The Closet Techie. Good. All right. No one else wants to cop to it? All right. Why is it that we don't read our technical manuals? This is why I do Mac. Because I don't like to read technical manuals. It's intuitive. The reason is, it doesn't. it's not very exciting, is it? The reality is, though, I do read my technical manual. When do I read it? When something goes wrong. And how do I read it? I flip the, to the concordance in the back. I mean... The troubleshooting section. And I look up that paragraph, that chapter and verse that has to do with my problem, and I read that. And I think most Christians think of the Word of God like a technical manual. And we need to change. How many of you have ever gotten a love letter from someone you like? I don't mean one of those stalkers. I mean someone you really like. Yeah? How did you read that? Carefully. Carefully? Yeah, you open it up. and Dear Romeo. Wow, that's deep. And then you folded it up, put it beside your bed, got your dictionary out, looked up the root meaning of the word "dear." Is that what you did? No. You read the whole thing, didn't you? And then what did you do? You read it again, and then again and again and again. We need to understand the Bible is a love letter. In fact, it's full of love letters. I don't know if you know this, but an epistle is not an apostle's wife. It's a letter. Imagine somebody important wrote you a letter. Imagine the.
0: You know, I got a problem here at this point. Number one, this guy's attitude is like just totally putting me off. Uh, Number two, um, what is it with these church consultants? Uh, just speaking in platitudes here. Um, and they expect you to get up to speed with their self-made. Uh, concepts and vocabulary and all that kind of stuff. And it's just, this is grading me on so many levels. I can barely breathe.
6: President of the United States sat down at the Oval Office at his desk, handwriting a letter to you personally, and you got it, and you read a paragraph and put it away. That would be rude. But the God of the universe wrote you a letter. Read the whole thing. A verse a day doesn't keep the devil away. You've got to read the whole thing. You've got to have the context. You've got to have the meaning. You've got to love it. Don't treat it like an owner's manual. Basic instructions before leaving earth or something like that. Spelling Bible. All right? But it's more than just the printed word on the page. It is the voice behind it. And when you become accustomed to the print, to what's on the page... You, the, it, will, it will resonate with the Spirit in you, and you will learn to know the voice of Jesus. And that's what your people need. The problem is they only get God's word through your sermon, so God has your accent all the time. And that's, that's creating a dependency problem. His sheep went too far. Well, That's good enough. My sheep hear my voice, he said, and I know them, and they follow me. Do you trust that Jesus' voice doesn't need your help? When somebody comes up to you and says, you know, I read the Bible and I just don't understand it, but man, when I hear you preach, it all comes alive. Don't be complimented by that. That's an insult as a teacher. That's them saying, you're better than the word of God to me. And a true teacher will never accept that. That's time to repent. Repent. You're doing something wrong if that's the case. They need to fall in love with God's word without you. You If you are led by the Spirit, you're no longer under the law. We need to be people led by the Spirit. This is what Jesus said. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, that's a movement, isn't it? This is momentum When people are just blown by the Spirit of
0: God. This is momentum. This is where people are blown by the Spirit of God. Okay. Yeah, and you want to learn how to make that happen just by his books. Into the
6: workplace of life, into their neighborhoods, into the nations, led by the Spirit, not by a program or a pastoral staff, but by the Spirit of God. You can't get there if the people don't know how to hear God's voice. It's that important. That's why Jesus said you've got to believe in the seed. It's the seed is the word of God. Now, he also talked about soil, right? And there are four kinds of soil. There's hard soil where it bounces off and the devil comes and takes it away. It never penetrates. But there's three soils that receive the word with joy. And sprout up quickly. The shallow soil, there's no depth to their commitment. They're looking for something to make their life easy right now. And I don't know about you, but Jesus doesn't always make my life easy. Right? Yeah. Those who he loves, he disciplines. That's not easy. He says, uh, um, um, all those who desire to live godly will be praised. Persecuted. No, persecuted. Ouch. And and, and even when you're doing everything right and bearing fruit and lots of fruit, you know what he comes along and does? He chops it off and prunes you so you bear more fruit. Ouch. See, Christian life isn't going to feel good. Those who are looking for what feels good right now, they fall away quickly. Then the, the weed infested soil, these are people distracted by the deceitfulness of riches, the worries of life, and the desire for other things. So they have Jesus and everything else. And they're really more consumed. I mean, they go with, with, with getting a better job, a better office, a better car, a better school, a better whatever. iPad 2, which I just ordered. Maybe there's some weeds in my life, but actually, it's not weeds, it's an apple tree. The weed-infested soil, that's the good soil that bears forth fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. I want you to notice something. Four kinds of soil, one doesn't even receive the word, right? But three kinds of soil receive the word, but two of them don't bear fruit. Only one bears fruit. Jesus told you it would be this way. Now, that could be discouraging, those numbers, but the reality is it's life-affirming to me because it's reflective of reality. How many of you have seen people come to Christ, you get so excited, and then six months later you can't find them? And then what do you feel? You feel bad, guilty, right? And we as a group of leaders, we get together and we say, we must be doing something wrong. We've got to close the back door, is the language we use, right? And so what we do is we change church to accommodate bad soil. And we wonder why 80% of the work's done by 20% of the people. It's because we've never filtered out the bad soil. We have to not be content babysitting bad soil and start investing in good soil. It's the only way to multiply 30 fold, 60 fold, 100 fold.
0: So if 10 people. Um, how do you get rid of bad soil? I, I mean, the point of that um, parable was is that the sower just threw it everywhere. This didn't seem to care where it landed. The word of God did what it does. People
6: come to Christ and only two bear fruit. I don't babysit the others. I invest everything I have in the two because they bear a lot of fruit.
7: Yeah.
6: Um, What time is it? Go ahead.
7: Uh, Just struggle with the comment, help them fall in love with the word of God, not you. Kind of wrestle with that because like, you know, a prof, you know, an undergrad, you know, professor, watching him teach didactically and pedagogically made me just like, man, I didn't look at like, he's awesome, I can never do that. I looked at him like, I want to do that. I want to explain the Word of God accurately like that, and got into the Word and read it and loved it and was like, man, I didn't know that this was so rich with the culture, piece, the context, and all this other stuff, and it made me fall in love, so he... I don't know if that's added. Are you teaching too? Well, I'm, I'm actually the pastor. All right. Let's well, well,
6: see. It's worked. Yes. See, that's the that's what a teacher does. Uh, the gifts, Apostle, Prophet, evangelist I'm going to verify what you're saying. Apostles, Prophet, evangelist, Shepherd, Teachers are given to do what? Do the ministry, right? No. To equip the Christians, the church to do the ministry, the saints. Not do it for them, Right. So, follow me with this. If you're an evangelist, your job is not to lead people to Jesus. According to the verse, the evangelist's job is to equip the saints to lead people to Jesus. So, if you're a teacher, what's your job? To teach the saints? No. No, to equip the saints to teach. You ran into a teacher who loved Jesus and loved you and made So, evangelists don't evangelize. Who knew? You want to teach others. And equipped you to do it. That's multiplication. Yeah, that's but most leaders, it's about me doing it for you. Mm-hmm. And that won't multiply. Mm-hmm. Don't invest in potential, invest in provenness. Everybody has potential. Wonderful. He showed,
7: how, he showed us, I'm sorry, he showed us how he was doing it. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, he, he equipped mesmerized you. Us, mesmerized us. We were like, yo, how did he get there? And he's like, this ain't nothing. I got help, I got tools, I got resources here. This is how you do it. He equipped you.
6: So now he's equipping you to teach others. And now your job is to not let the baton stop with you. You need to equip others to teach in the same manner. All right? So now the success is not how many people come to hear you speak, but how many people leave to go speak. (laughs) That's a whole nother measuring card, isn't it? The movement starts with the right DNA in the right soil. A single shaft of weed allowed to freely reproduce and grow without anything stopping it for multiple generations. Within only eight years, will have become a crop large enough to feed the entire world population for a year. It's all there. Every time you eat, it's because of multiplication. Everything you eat is because of multiplication. We just need to get back to that in the church. He said 30-fold, that's that's 3,000%. 60-fold, 100-fold is 10,000%. That's quite a return on your investment, right? Invest in the good soil. Stop trying to babysit and motivate unmotivated people. If Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is enough to get them out of the pew and into the streets, your sermon won't do it. Let Jesus be the thing. And let, work with those who are motivated. And let the other people sing songs on Sunday morning. <laughs> All right? Let them. That's fine. But work with the people that are motivated. Because momentum grows from the inside out organically by the life force within, the DNA, developing from the micro to the macro like that chart we showed. And it continues reproducing at the micro level throughout the life of the organism. I didn't want to say anything, but I think it relates, so I'm going to. But uh, don't turn around, okay? But there's someone in the back row, and they're actually reproducing at this very moment. Don't look. He's looking. All right, well, there you have it. Actually, every one of us is reproducing right now, right? At the micro level, not at the macro level. But every cell in my hand right now is reproducing. The old ones die off; the new ones take its place. What would happen if they all went on strike and decided not to multiply? I'd have a problem on my hands. It would shrivel up and die. Death occurs when we stop reproducing. What does that tell you about the church? We have a more serious problem than we realize. And you don't need to teach people to reproduce. I mean, think about it. We have sex education in high school. Why? So they can learn how to reproduce? No, so they learn how not to. Because it's natural. It's God's designed to reproduce. They figure it out all by themselves in the back of a pickup to, or back of a back seat of a car or wherever. That's old, isn't it? Anyway.
0: Yeah, the illustrations, yeah. Sure is folksy, isn't it? I, I don't understand really, I mean, what's the big takeaway here? I, have you figured it out? I haven't figured it out. Anyway,
6: they figure it out because it's the way they've been designed. And I think the church has been designed to reproduce naturally. It's the stuff we do early on that stops it. And we need to get out of the way. Uh, imagine if reproduction required as on the macro level, not the micro level. So in other words... To reproduce as a human being, you have to cut off an arm, stick it in a pot of soil, and hope another human being grows. We'd all choose extinction. That's not the way reproduction occurs, and yet that's the way we teach church planting. What we need to do is make sure the DNA is in the good soil. Then you don't have to teach multiplication. It just happens. When we first started seeing multiplication, I was all excited. I was casting vision for it. And this woman came up to me and says, we just gotten this...
0: Casting vision for it. Oh, brother.
6: Group. We like it. We don't want to multiply. Stop talking about multiplication. She was my wife, so I listened to her. <laughs> I said, okay, if this is true, if the Bible's true, here's what I'm going to say. I'll make a deal with you. You don't have to multiply. I'll stop talking about multiplication. In fact... Never multiply. Please, stop multiplying. Within three months, there were three groups. Because the seed in good soil will multiply, whether you tell it to or not, or even if you tell it not to. It's from within. You had a question, or somebody had a question? Um, one
4: of my weaknesses as a pastor, I've been planting churches, and I struggle with over-focusing on the- Right. Instead of the provenness, mm-hmm. right. I think there's some mercy gift in yeah. When I, was a te- I, was, I used to be a high school teacher, uh-huh. and a couple of the bad kids I would over focus on while the rest were bored. I think a lot of pastors, including me, we feel guilty about saying no to people. Yep. And I have a couple of staff that I'm spending a lot of time with that are hard to get motivated, and I got an all star that I spent with them. Then. And my, my father-in-law called me, he's a prophet and he said, there's two people in your life that you need to stop spending time with And I'm, I'm asking God to give me a confirmation on that. So how do you my question is, how do you encourage us to say no to people or it feels harsh to us to turn people away or say no. Do you have to have hard conversations with people a lot to, that aren't going to be good leaders?
6: Yes, you do sometimes. Uh, let me tell you two stories, and we'll end with that uh, relating to this, because our time's about up. Wow. Um, I learned the hard way not to invest in potential, because I got <laughs> let down a lot. Everybody has potential. You know, it's wonderful when you're young to have lots of potential. But when they stand at your graveside and say, "Oh, he has such potential," it's no longer a good thing, right? It's a bad thing now. It's potential fulfilled that we want, not potential. So if you multiply potential, which is nothing, you get nothing. So what I look for is immediate obedience to Jesus. Now, some of you are in different denominations, and this is going to be harder for others. But here's the thing. When someone comes to faith in Christ, I want them baptized as quickly as they can and as publicly as they can so that they learn obedience from day one. And the one who does the evangelizing does the baptizing.
3: Right.
6: Why? Because we're commanded not to be baptized, but to be baptizers. Right. That's the Great Commission. You want your people to fulfill the Great Commission, let them. And baptism's right in the middle. So, uh, now, if that... That suddenly, they're not growing. This is a story with Josh. Josh came to Christ early on, and he was not growing. He was excited, enthusiastic, smiling, all the potential in the world, coming every week. But then after church, he'd go sleep with somebody, or he'd go back and do drugs. He was a drug addict, an alcoholic. He wasn't changing his life. He couldn't keep a job for more than a, a, a couple months. He tried to go to school. He had one class, and he couldn't finish the semester. This is Josh's life First five six years he was there smiling he felt like part of the church He didn't feel like I was excluding him but he kept coming to me with a big smile on his face will you mentor me I want to be a church planner and I'd say no not until I see fruitfulness in your life alright and I'd say for six years he would come will you mentor me no will you mentor me no I'd say do this come back when you're done and he would never come back <laughs> then he'd come back and say will you mentor me I said did you do this no well I no once you do this, once you start making disciples that multiply, we'll mentor you. All right? One day he came home. this is like five years into his Christian life, something like that. After this point, I kind of say, I kind of write him off. Uh, he's probably never going to bear fruit, all right so I'm going to invest somewhere else. He comes home, from, and his father and his brother are in a fist fight in the front of the house, and his brother keels o- his father kills over and dies of a heart attack. And his brother hits his head and falls into a coma. It has never been the same since. And he realized that is where my life is headed. I need to change. He came to me and confessed everything in his life. It took an hour, you know, and I, most of it I already knew. <laughs> but I let him confess it because what we need is healing here. We need cleansing. And he's bringing it into the light. And he's cleansed. I sent him for a couple weeks into the desert to meet with the prophet on our team, Desi. He, you know, lives out there and eats locusts and wild honey. Globe, Arizona, doesn't really, well, this, actually, he probably does. But anyway, uh, (laughs) he's one of those survivalist type guys, you know, good protein, (laughs) with a British accent. So then uh, um, he comes back, and he's just changed. He gets a job at the Coffee Bean. He works that job for six years, becomes a manager. He goes to school. Last year, he graduated. He's now working in a hospital as a respiratory care technician. And in that period of time, at school, he started three churches, he started another one at another another school, and he became a trainer of Greenhouse. I started mentoring him at that point, because there was provenness in his life, and he just sprouted up and grew, and he led Juan to Christ, and Juan is a tremendous apostolic leader. He has started several churches, and is his disciple, and now... Greenhouse is taught by Josh and by Juan, and they're training other people that will end up being trainers. It's happening. Josh did a greenhouse at Moody Bible Institute and in India. He's been overseas doing this. started with a flake, but I waited. If I had given him the goods when he wasn't proven, they would not have been valued. It would have been casting pearls before swine. Wait until you see provenness. Before you invest, one last question.
4: What's the difference between discipling and mentoring?
6: Great, great question. I think you need in your mind, separate discipling and mentoring because discipling is everybody does. Everybody has to make disciples. Mentoring is for leadership when you're influencing others. And you're not a leader if no one's following, right? So you hold back mentoring for those who actually are having influence over other people's lives proven this yeah yeah for me they were already multiplying disciples before they ever become a leader now it may not be true in your church but we have this disciple thing going on that's the fuel for the whole movement uh, called life transformation groups and you can read about that in uh it's in search and rescue but they've changed the title and i always what's it called
4: Human.
6: ordinary hero at the baker table that's available thanks all right, thanks for your time. Let's see some movement, huh uh-uh. I mean movement
2: <laughs>
0: okay, um yeah, so let's get some momentum and make sure that you don't mentor somebody who doesn't have the right influence and isn't producing the right thing and make sure to filter out the wrong soil kind of thing yeah um so this is what apparently America's Brightest young church leaders are hearing and being taught, and um i um I'm not seeing any value to it at all uh, maybe the way forward is backwards yeah uh, you know, go back to what the church has done for the last two thousand years, and let's just quit with the clever ideas and the Brand new vocabulary about the movemental, missional, incarnational thing. And uh, and stop talking about that stuff and just get back to basics. Why don't we preach Christ and crucified for our sins and um watch God bring people to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins. And then we'll have to figure out how to disciple them, you know, and help them grow in the faith. <sighs> anyway... All right, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. And uh, just a reminder, we're listener-supported radio. If you don't already support us, uh, please do. And thank you for those of you who do support us. uh, Truly, we can't do what we do without your help. Visit our website, click on one of the friendly yellow buttons, or if you'd like to make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Uh, so what do you think? You know, I'd love to get your feedback. Um, yeah, my email address is uh, talkback at com. or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash Christian. You can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, not tomorrow, Monday. Till Monday, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.